Hey everybody, welcome to episode 25 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! Hey, hey, hey! How's it going everybody? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, I had a pretty solid weekend. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I guess, yeah, you're the only person I can talk to out of all of our listeners, so... Um... <laughs> I hope everybody else is doing well too. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing great, honestly. I uh, just came back from uh, Columbus, which A is my favorite city in the United States, and B, uh, my team performed incredibly over the weekend. Yeah, did you you all cashed right? All of us cashed. Um, I I carried up the rear with my measly top sixty four. We had a top four finish, a top eight finish. Two top 32s, which were like almost top 16s. It was like 17th and 18th. And then there's me at 63rd. Um, <laughs> barely managed to squeak in. So, <laughs> But yeah, overall, it was just really an incredible weekend. We we had a blast. Just kind of like even, you know, hanging out. Uh, shout outs to Tip Top, best restaurant. We There was an argument between whether or not Tip Top in Columbus was the best restaurant that we go to on these trips or in Atlanta there is another restaurant uh the Vortex is also very very good I've had yeah. very good experiences at, at, at both of those places but um yeah a Vortex yeah. is pretty great you can also get a, an actual fishbowl drink at Vortex which uh you know if that's your thing then also Vortex home of the infamous mystery shots so, uh, if you ever just like don't want to remember what you did that previous weekend, then you know you can go to Vortex and have some fun there. That was where we were when uh, we had some other Magic players, I guess, buy our table drinks. <laughs> we had an interesting week or night from there, but you know, yeah, mystery shots seem like a better idea when none of you day twoed. So, uh... right, yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, but yeah, no, Columbus. Uh, was excellent as always. Got to see a bunch of awesome people, hang out with the team, crush the open. You know. Yep, the just, usual. Uh, just a good weekend. Cool, cool. Yeah, I uh, I went to Frankfurt this weekend and played in the Magic Card Market Series tournament weekend there. So what 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 kind of uh, what kind of tournament series is that? Is that just kind of like more regional event, or can you give us kind of like a you know, it's it's like a European series, so um, some of the tournaments are in Germany. There's one coming up in Prague uh, that I'm pretty excited about, because um, Prague is really cool, um, and, and nice. some other cities in Europe. But they're all, they all have several one-day main event tournaments. So on Saturday, there was a modern tournament and a limited tournament that I think had about 30 players, while the modern tournament had 600 players. Um, okay. And then cool. on Sunday they had standard and legacy, and the the legacy grossly outnumbered the standard event. Um, but mm-hmm. I did manage to win the standard event on Sunday, so that was very nice. <laughs> nice, well done, well done. Yeah, um, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you played Teamer. Yeah, I was pretty close to giving up on Teamer for a little while Whoa. and just running mono red and hoping to spike stuff with it. Yeah, but. After actually, after reading a post on Reddit that was this guy's uh, sort of experiences with the deck and what his mostly his board plan and his philosophy about the Teamer Mirror 
And then I tried it out online and was pretty satisfied with how it performed. It felt like I really had a plan rather than just yeah. sort of yeah. grasping at what was important. Um, and that plan, just to sum it up really, really briefly, is basically um, on the draw, you take out all of your two drops in favor of removal and more uh, value cards. So you go up to four viziers after board. Um, yep. On the play, you uh, leave in your servants because if they don't have the removal, then servants can you know catapult you to an advantage very quickly. But you do take out your cubs for uh, more value cards just because... When you're on the draw and they go two drop, if you play a two drop, you're already behind. You would much, much rather abrade whatever they played that turn. And the deck really, the after board, you really lean on viziers because it's you just have more glory bringers that way. And and the philosophy for the games that I used was basically whoever gets more glory bringer exert triggers generally wins. So you want to not have, as much as you can help it, you want to not have creatures in play that are vulnerable to Glorybringer exert on turns that they could play Glorybringer, or you want to be leading up Harness Lightning or Chandra's Defeat to prevent that from happening to you. And in general, I think my opponents were a little bit, you know, more uncertain with their board plan, didn't totally uh, have that understanding of when this bad thing could happen to them and they they weren't quite as aware of when the glory bringing could happen and how bad it could be uh so i i kind of rode that for most of the day i ended up going 5-0 in mirrors so that which i think you have to do to win a standard tournament these days right yeah for sure um yeah no i mean always good to have a plan especially in like the the formats that are relatively stale where everybody's playing the same deck you know if you if you have a better idea of what's going on in those mirrors than everybody else then you're gonna do well for sure yeah yeah and it did feel good all day and then obviously as soon as i got home i tried the same plan uh in a couple more leagues on magic online and just got absolutely destroyed so yeah, <laughs> your mileage may vary yeah yeah for sure for sure uh, well that's awesome congratulations got that yeah trophy. it was pr- pretty nice yeah the trophy is probably a little more prestigious looking than it should be given the size of the tournament but still you know good weekend and now i have enough you know store credit that i can buy whichever tier one modern deck i feel like buying which is probably eldrazi tron but I'll, I'll have to you know talk with you about that a little bit to figure out if i should do that or not sure yeah definitely definitely yeah i, I played eldrazi tron last weekend um, yeah and it was powerful but kind of inconsistent honestly um, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the skill in being able to play that deck well is knowing which, like, if you ever look at a hand and your thought is, maybe I'll get there, I think that my my philosophy is that you should you just have to mulligan it. All of your hand, all of your opening hands need to be doing something, like, you know, powerful, like a turn three Thought Not Seer or, you know, turn three Tron or something like that. And that's that, that can be pretty tough. But Yeah, uh, that's definitely my, my concern with the deck is is that you know not knowing if you're actually gonna get there like just your get there rate is kind of what determines how well you do in any given tournament and that's maybe not ideal but there's also very powerful when it gets there so yeah definitely and the other sort of motivating factor since i'm actually buying the cards is that this gets me like 70 percent of the way to a legacy deck and that's pretty decent too oh right yeah for sure eldrazi uh, yeah, Eldrazi Stompy. Powerful creatures there. Yeah, 
sure. it's mostly the buying the chalices that gets yeah, you yeah, close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chalices are pretty important. And honestly, yeah. I think that Chalice of the Void is the reason why I think anybody should play Eldrazi Tron over Green Tron. Oh, for sure. Um, so, you know, if, if it's a metagame where Chalice of the Void is expected to be good, then that's what you want to be doing. Yep. Yep, I think that's right. But, but enough anyways. about standard and modern, because we have something much more exciting to talk about. Rivals of Ixalan. Rivals of Ixalan, yeah. So, plan for today is we're going to do our first ever set review. Uh, no idea really how this is going to go or how long it's going to take. Luckily, we are starting with a small set, and hopefully we'll get some experience doing this and, you know, work out the kinks once we have larger sets. But, so I think the format is pretty much just going to be, we're going to run through all of the cards that sort of have constructed implications. We're going to assign them a grade, we're going to talk about them, and yeah, go one color at a time, alphabetical order. No, you know, we're not picking out like the best cards to start with or anything. So the the grading scale that we're working with today, and we'll probably fine tune this after you know trying it out. But after we try to this. keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is probably a learning process. But I want to keep this kind of as simple as possible. So we're just going with an A through F rating scale for today. So for A's, we've got sort of multi-format staple cards that sort of these evergreen cards like Fatal Push and Snapcaster Mage that are just great as soon as they come out and great in lots of formats throughout their presence in them. Uh, Bs are format staples, so usually standard format staples because if they're going to be good in modern, they're probably good in standard and qualify as a multi-format. So uh, for, for format staples, we've got cards like Glorybringer and Abrade that go in a lot of different decks and, and sort of are the marquee cards of the format, but don't see just, you know, tons and tons of, like, modern or legacy play. For Cs, we've got what are sort of archetype staples, and these might be very, very powerful cards, but there's a much narrower band of decks that they go into. So the example that I'm using for this one is Hazret the Fervent. You know, incredibly powerful card, very important in standard, but the number of decks you can actually put Hazret in is not a ton of decks. It's really mono-red or a mono-red analog deck that, you know, is, is going with the same sort of game plan. Ds are narrower cards that do still have some application, and sideboard cards especially go into this slot. So things like Spell Pierce or Negate or even Confiscation Coup, I think, qualify as Ds. And that's not to say that these are bad cards. I think the majority of playable standard cards are Cs and Ds. Um, and they can be very good cards, but we're sort of evaluating them on a metric of their, you know, playability, how wide scale it is, how many situations do you want to have these cards in your hand, and how many decks can play them. And so, you know, Confiscation Coup, Spell Pierce, and Negate are very good cards, but, you know, because of how narrow they are, or the fact that they're sideboard cards, I think they qualify as a D. And then, just Fs. We're probably not going to hit too many Fs, but this sort of exists because some of the cards on the list are cards that have been overhyped or people think that they're going to do something in standard, but, you know, either I disagree with the general population or I have put the card on the list and, Collins, I'm going to need you to tell me that <laughs> it's not actually playable at all. Yeah. So, 
that'll be an F. I think the big example from Ixalan is a card that everybody has forgotten about because it turned out to not be playable at all, which is Old Growth Dryads. So just, you know, certain certain portion of the community might be really hyped about a thing, but it's not actually going to make a splash. Um, and we'll probably hit at least a couple of those. And, you know, there's a good chance that we label things as, like, Cs or Ds or something, and they turn out to be Fs, so... Right, um, right. You know, these are these are going to be our first impressions, and we'll we'll try to identify the Fs when we get to them. But you know, your mileage. Yeah, and and this set is spicy, and there are a bunch of weirdo cards, and I fully expect to get several things, you know, pretty wrong here. And we're going to do our best, but uh, no promises. Yeah, the especially difficult thing is because we're trying to evaluate the ascend mechanic, and that's just <laughs> something that we've never really. Like, permanence on the battlefield is just something that we've never really had to count. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, so you know, I, I, I don't think that any of us really have a good idea of what that even looks like or how early that's going to happen or how frequently that's going to happen. The Ascend cards in particular are going to be, like, pretty difficult to evaluate. Um, but uh, I think that we'll do our best. Because I think that I, you know, I've, I've got a general idea of how good I think that those are going to be. But I think that, you know, that's also going to vary, like, format to format. You know, I think that Ascendance is probably going to be a pretty strong mechanic and limited, but maybe there's, like, an Ascend deck or something that, like, puts a bunch of, like, tokens of some sort on the battlefield to trigger Ascend early, but... Yeah, that's going to be really hard to predict or evaluate against, though, so... Yeah, and and one other thing is, at this moment in time... I'm, we're probably evaluating a lot of these cards against a format where Teamer Energy is very important and Glorybringer is, you know, kind of a cap on the format. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it starting next fall, sort of the ratings of these cards might change a little bit once Teamer Energy and Glorybringer are out of the format. But, you know, we got to sort of operate within the world that we live in right now. And I think that that is going to be a big part of talking about a lot of these cards is that that boogeyman of the format. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Yeah. So with with that all out of the way, uh, I guess we should just jump in. Uh, do you want to start reading the? You know, if you just want to read the text of each of these cards, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. So we're starting off in white, and we're going alphabetically. So the card that we're starting off with is baffling end. Uh, it's an enchantment for one and a white. When Baffling N enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls with converted mana cost three or less. When Baffling N leaves the battlefield, target opponent creates a 3-3 three, three green dinosaur creature token with trample. So this is kind of like an Oblivion Ring style effect where it's an enchantment, it comes into play, exiles a small creature... And when it leaves the battlefield, they get a 3-3 dinosaur with trample. So I actually misread this card when I first read it. I assumed that they would get their creature back. Just because that's how that's how all of these have worked in the past. But in reality, they don't get their creature back. They get a 3-3 dinosaur creature with trample if, uh, if Baffling in leaves the battlefield. Which I think makes this card... It's, it's, like, pretty interesting and unique, and, you know, if there's ever any, like, utility creature that you hit with it, like a Whirler Virtuoso, for example, mm -hmm. even if they have the enchantment removal and get this guy off the battlefield, uh, which I think is going to be pretty rare in a lot of instances, yeah. um, then they're going to get a 3-3 Trample 
Um, right, which is generally worse than any creature that sees constructed play at any mana cost. So, <laughs> uh, right. I my initial reaction is that this is somewhere between a B and a C. I think that it's it's in a color that's not seeing a lot of play, which makes me want to say that it's not quite a format staple in standard, but it's definitely going to be seeing play as a decent white removal spell. I, uh, I don't know whether or not that this is going to fall into the D category of sideboard card. The, uh, the card that we can kind of like think back to um, when evaluating this card is Silkrat, which was a card that was pretty much the exact same as this. It's, it was a two-mana enchantment that exiled a creature with converted mana cost three or less. That ended up seeing some amount of main deck play, but mostly sideboard play. I guess I guess this that would make this more of a D than anything else. But yeah, I think this um, is like a, a C to D. Like I can see this as a main yeah. deck card in the white control decks that are you know any deck that's playing Ether Meltdown is probably happier to have Baffling End than yeah, that card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. The but the other thing to note is that it'll be kind of be format dependent because this does not hit artifacts, so it's not going to be able to hit something like Heart of Kieran, for example. Hmm. True, true, very true. But, you know, this hits something like Carry Zev, where uh, Ether Meltdown does not hit something like Carry Zev. Right, so, right, 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 for sure. So, yeah, I think I think I would put this at somewhere between a C and a D. Uh, uh-huh. really depends on how the format plays out. But especially as long as Mono Red is a thing, this seems like a fine card. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, we've got Bishop of Binding. So this is a... It's a four mana one one, which isn't off to a good start. It's a three and a white for a uh, vampire cleric. It says when Bishop of Binding enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until Bishop of Binding leaves the battlefield. Whenever Bishop of Binding attacks, target vampire gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the power of the exiled card. Um, so despite being a one one, this is actually pretty strong. It's kind of like an Oblivion Ring effect where it gets upside for exiling a big thing because it's going to be able to boost, I would assume, normally itself. Because if it doesn't, it's just going to die in combat. The the second part is such a weird text because in order to trigger its ability, it has to attack itself. And if it's attacking itself, you're going to need some way to protect this one one that's attacking. Which is probably um, by targeting it with the ability, because... Right, so, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, this normally just reading as it gives itself plus X plus X, but yep. it is kind of, like, cool utility where there might be some weird scenarios where you need to pump, like, a flyer or something for lethal, so it is kind of cool that it does give you the ability to, you know, pump another True. flyer, or pump a, pump another vampire. My initial reaction is that this isn't going to see a lot of play in Constructed. It mostly reads like a bad hostage taker to me, I think. Yeah. Oblivion Ring creatures generally don't really do terribly well um, unless, you know, there's a specific reason why you would want them. Uh, Like, I remember back when... um, What's the 1-3 Oblivion Ring creature that we've got in San Fairgrounds Warden. Fairgrounds Warden. We did see a little bit of play with that guy back when, like, Smuggler's Copter was around because it was, like, a, a cool utility removal spell that could crew your Smuggler's Copter, right? Mm-hmm. But generally in Standard, I you don't really see these creatures having too much of an impact. 
just because they're you know they're just going to be a bunch of removal spells lying around and you don't want your four mana removal right. spell to just be able to be uh magma sprayed or something um right, right. so uh the fact that this guy's a one one and not really too resilient makes me not really think that this will be too important uh, or see a lot of play my rating is probably going to be d minus f plus Yep. Because it's a good card, I just don't really see it making any impact in any constructed format. Yeah, I don't really see it working out either. I think it's a D, and I wouldn't be surprised to never see it in a top 8 list. Right, right. Alright, next up we've got Famished Paladin. This guy is a 2-mana 3-3, 1 and a white, with a pretty interesting rules text. So he doesn't untap during your untap step. Which doesn't mean he can't attack. It means that if he does attack, then he is likely going to be iced for your for your next turn. He's just going to be uh, tapped. But it also says, whenever you gain life, untap Famished Paladin. So a little reminiscent to um, Nettle Sentinel, where he doesn't untap normally, but that does mean that he has this other mechanic that could mean that he untaps more than normal. Right, gives um, pseudo vigilance. Right, so I think that depending on the, you know, if this guy sees play in some deck, he's probably going to be a pretty strong beater, where he's a three three for two, and if you're like generally gaining some life every turn, he's going to be able to untap every turn. And if you're playing that right, generally that looks like he's got vigilance a little bit because you go to combat, you attack with him, and then post combat you. Gain some life and he untaps, and he's he's a three three blocker for your next turn. Um, yeah, and this is really going to require either like lifelink guys or I mean, pretty much just lifelink guys is is the way this would go. So legions landing, I, I guess uh, uh, sanctum seeker would also be a way of, of doing things with this guy. But most likely, you'll have a one one lifelink token, and that's the way you want to go about doing it not always the easiest thing in the world there's only a couple of playable cards like legion's landing and mavern fine are the only ones that really spring to mind uh still if you turn this guy into a two mana three three vigilance with a reasonable amount of certainty then that's a pretty good card especially with a relevant creature type yeah so if the archetype is there i think that he'll see play but either way i think that he is a c an archetype staple um Mm -hmm. But whether yep. or not that archetype exists is, uh, that's the question. I guess. Sure. Yep. Yep. So either a C or a D. Probably. Yeah. C. If the archetype exists, then I think that puts him at a C. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So next we've got Martyr of Dusk, which is another two mana vampire creature. This one's a two one for two, and it says when Martyr of Dusk dies, create a one one white vampire creature with token with lifelink. Um. This guy, to me, is probably just an F. I think that this is a good limited card. I think almost like a high pick in limited because it's very strong. But even in a vampire's deck, probably just not what you're looking for. Yep. I think you're probably right. Um, There are some scenarios, uh, you know, a guy that turns into a guy that benefits from any anthem effects that you have because both halves are vampires is pretty okay. Um, He's very good at helping turn on Legion's Landing. But I think we're in a spot where there are actually enough good two-drop vampires that the vampire deck isn't going to need this guy. So probably an FD at best. Um, But also kind of an awkward roadblock for very aggressive decks. But 
I, I don't know that it's powerful enough while doing that that you'll ever actually want it, but it, it's an option if you really want a Doom Traveler sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The The problem is, for me, is that um, if you're playing this guy as, like, a like a sideboard answer for, like, Mono Red or something is what I could see, um, mm-hmm. he just kind of gets completely bricked off by Magma Spray right now, which yeah. is not a good look. All right, next up we've got Paladin of Atonement. So another two-mana vampire. Uh, they gave us a lot of these this time. That's why the 2-1 to me seems less than exciting, because we actually got a fair number of two-mana vampires that, yeah, that yeah, are a little sure. bit more exciting sounding. Um, so this guy's the two-mana 1-1. One, one. Um, at the beginning of each upkeep, if you lost life last turn, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on Paladin of Atonement. When Paladin of Atonement dies, you gain life equal to its toughness. Um, so this is an interesting card where it is, you know, it's assuming that you're in some sort of a racing situation where you're attacking your opponent and your opponent is attacking you. Um, and sometimes that's generally easy to set up. Um, and I think that he's very good in that scenario. Um but again, to me, that feels like something that you... Uh, it's, it's much harder to do in any constructed format. This is like another one of the vampires that feels like it could be good against uh, like a mono-red shell. Um, right, but in the games where it is good, they just point a removal spell at it rather than letting it get right. out of hand. Um, I would agree, and my initial read of the card, I, I dismissed it. But then after thinking about it more... Um, two cards that are definitely in any deck with Paladin of Atonement are Adanto Vanguard and Shefet Dunes, which are ways that you can sort of stack additional triggers for him um, and get him very big very quickly. Um, True, Shefet, yeah. Shefet Dunes especially is a really sweet one, uh, just because you get to, for free, pay one life and, and get a counter on him. So that synergy, I think, may be enough to push it into being one of the the two drops that doesn't leave the vampire deck. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that there there definitely could be a, like a beat-down vampire archetype that's kind of wants to ping itself on, on its own turn and probably also has some lifelink to make up for that. So That still doesn't get yeah. this past like a D for me, but I, I think that it ends up... I, I think this one ends up seeing play. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I could think see that's it. Enough. Um, you know, and it, if it does see play, I think that this will be a C. Uh, you know, in the vampire's archetype. You know, right. um, so I could see that. The the reason that I think it may be closer to a D is because I think we may have a couple of different vampires archetypes, and so while this one belongs in the beatdown vampires archetype, if there's more of a go wide version, this one might not quite have a home there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. This next card, though, I think may just be great in either version, but especially in a go-wide archetype, uh, and that is Radiant Destiny. So Radiant Destiny, we've got a... uh, It's a three-mana enchantment, so two and a white. Um, It's got Ascend, so this will be the first Ascend card that we write. Ascend is the mechanic that says if you control ten or more permanents, you get the city's blessing for the rest of the game. And the city's blessing generally just means that some of your cards do better things yeah. while you have the city's blessing. The city's blessing itself doesn't really do anything, but uh, it just kind of like the, on your ascend cards, they're going to be better. So 
The This is the enchantment. It says, as Radiant Destiny enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one, plus one. As long as you have the city's blessing, they also have vigilance. So always going to be an anthem for your team. So it's always going to be three mana, plus one, plus one on your team. But if you've got ten permanents on the board, then your team also has vigilance, which is pretty strong in a tokens-based, any sort of tokens-based deck. Intangible Virtue was a heck of a card. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one for sure. Just giving your tokens vigilance is very powerful because you can just attack with all of them and then you can block with whatever you need to and, and it's it's quite powerful. Right, right, right. And of course, the tokens deck has an easier time of getting that that city's blessing than, than most other decks would. But this really is going to hinge on how much a deck needs a Glorious Anthem and I definitely think that if there are white decks in the format some of them are going to want glorious anthem pretty badly yes yeah uh it feels like a lot of decks are out there that you know is pretty good at putting a bunch of tokens on the battlefield vampires generally kind of had that theme in the last set and i think that a little bit of that is continuing a little so i wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of white deck that is trying to put a bunch of dudes on the battlefield and and anthems generally are pretty good there so yeah i think that this is like a c it's an archetype staple in kind of a tokens deck if you want to see it that's yeah that's where i would rate it i I would be surprised if there weren't you know several different tokens decks over the course of you know the next two years that this card is an important part of so i think c is good yeah next up we've got another vampire beatdown strategy card so this is a one mana two one which is always good in any sort of like sly style deck you just you know you want your one drops to be hitting pretty hard so sky marcher aspirant a one mana two one vampire soldier with ascend so it says sky marcher aspirant has flying as long as you have the city's blessing so for the, for the majority of this card's life on the battlefield, I would assume that it's just kind of a one-mana two-one. But it yep. does have the upside of if you draw it late, once you've assembled Ascend, then you then it has flying. So it can still it still has utility in the late game where it, maybe it has evasion and can still get in damage after the early parts. So this card does seem pretty strong to me where, you know, you play it on turn one and it's good because it's a two-one on turn one and you can hit your opponent for four to six damage. And... But then after that, it's also going to be good because, like, say you top deck it on turn five or six or something, and you potentially have a send at that point and can play it and it'll have flying and can still get in damage from there. So. Yep. And it's very good at helping flip your legions landing and that sort of thing. Um, I think that this is a, a fine card. You know, in the even mono-white vampires... Now you have this and Legion's Landing as excellent one-drops, and then Sky Marcher, uh, whatever its name is, the flyer, to fill in however many extra ones you need. And that's a decent amount of one-drops, which helps make you know an aggressive deck start making sense. So I, yeah. I do like this yeah. card in that deck. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I, if, I, if I had to give it a rating, I think that it's another C, where if its archetype exists, it'll be good in there, and it'll be a staple there for sure. Yep. But, you know, we still kind of have, have yet to see which archetypes are going to survive right. in the format. That's one of the things that is giving me hope, because as I've been sort of brewing, you know, possible vampires decks and possible merfolk decks, they're kind of hard to build because there are multiple directions you can go and there are different, you know, sacrifices you have to make by making cuts of cards that you like. And that's a good sign rather than, 
you know, before Rivals where you tried to make a Merfolk deck and you were forced into, these are the only playable Merfolk. We've got options now, and it's hard to tell which options will be the right ones, but the fact that there are cuts to be made makes it much more likely that these are real decks. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Next up, we've got Slaughter the Strong. So this is a sorcery in white. It's one white white. It says each player chooses any number of creatures he or she controls with total power four or less, then sacrifices all other creatures he or she controls. So this is yeah. a very interesting card. Yeah, this is one of the weirdos. This is one of the ones that we're probably going to get yeah. wrong. <laughs> it's it's a rare, so and it's kind of like a pseudo-wrath effect. I can see it definitely being played in a control deck. And the card kind of reads, let's stim the bleeding a little bit and say that I'm only going to take four damage next turn. <laughs> so destroy all of your other creatures, but you get to pick four power, uh, four powers worth and keep those. Yeah, and that um, play pattern for it is not very exciting to me, because four is a lot. Four, Yeah, four is a lot. As the control player, I don't think that I want to be saying, all right, well, uh, I'm only going to take four next turn. <laughs> yeah. You know, still a lot of damage and probably, as long as, if, you know, if the rest of your deck is like, you know, one for one removal spells, then this, and the opposing board gets way out of control, then, you know, I think that this is probably something that you are going to need. Mm -hmm. but I, I just don't know. It it feels kind of weird, and I just don't know how it's going to play out a lot of the time. I think it only really gets there if there's a deck that has its own creatures that it wants to keep around after casting this spell. So something like a Shielded Aether Thief can shut down a lot of the things that they would have that, you know, survive this this spell, but your, your own Shielded Aether Thief is still there to block. Um, yeah. Or, you know, if you had... I don't know, like Whirler Virtuoso or something like that to sit there through this. But, you know, whatever the card is, I think that's the most powerful application of it if you have your own guys that are not vulnerable to this thing and are able to shut down what they're holding onto. That's the exciting play pattern for me with Slaughter the Strong. I'm going to go ahead and rate this as a D, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Just because I, I, I don't know how much application. I think that it just is going to be a little too narrow for anything else. I, yeah, yeah my, my initial reaction is to write this a D, but it also just might see a bunch of more play than I'm expecting, and it's just like another one of the like the good cards that control decks want. Um, yep. Or I can see it just not seeing any play at all, so it's kind of tough. Yeah, I think D is right, but I think it. I would not be that surprised if in a week and a half I read a Brennan DeCandia article that says, uh, guys, this card is insane, and then <laughs> it's just really, really good. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but I, I think it is probably a D. Next up, we've got uh, we got a big boy over here. Yeah, um, best for last. I'm gonna butcher this. Zetalpa, Zetalpa, <laughs> Primal Dawn, eight mana, dinosaur, dragon thing. Uh, <laughs> so it's a it's an eight mana four eight with a bunch of keywords on it. It's flying, double strike, vigilance, trample, indestructible. Just if you if you land this card, and your opponent can't exile it in any way then you're probably just gonna win the the indestructible keyword i think is the thing that really gets me because just you know an ant mana four eight with flying double strike vigilance and trample is like cool and flashy and all but I, the only thing that really pushes it into like you know maybe there's something here is the indestructible text you can't right. harness lightning this guy <laughs> right that's what i was gonna say imagine if you finally got this in play and they harness lightning it that would yes right so indestructible yeah. is a big deal yeah 
So in terms of a constructed playability, eight mana cards aren't constructed playable in general, unless you're cheating them out before turn eight. <laughs> and you can do that either by ramping up to it, and but ramping up to eight in particular is very, very hard. Extremely difficult. Uh, there's just There just aren't really heavy impact ramp cards right now. Or you are reanimating it, I think is the other like potential way that you could get this guy into play yep. ahead of schedule. I'm struggling to remember the reanimate style effects that we've got currently in standard. Pretty I think much there, there just might be some, like, Liliana Death's ones. Majesty is, is the most playable one, I would say, is Liliana. Yeah. Right, so yeah, I mean, if you milled this guy somehow and then on turn five, you know, put it into play with Liliana, then, you know, now we're talking. So that, you know, that could potentially be, like, he could see play kind of just like in a reanimated shell, maybe as like a two of or something. Unfortunate thing to me here is that it does die to Vraska's Contempt and perhaps more importantly to Settle the Wreckage. So even if you do yeah. pull that off, it's still got a fair number of vulnerabilities. And bounce spells in that situation are really, really brutal. Uh, and I think we may be seeing a little bit more in the way of bounce spells uh, in the new format. At, I think this is a, a, a D at best for me. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it. I was going to say that as much as I really, you know, as much as this is a big flashy card that looks awesome, I honestly just don't see it being played and constructed. So. I think you're probably right, sadly. Because that art is real, real cool, and it's got so many keywords, but... Uh, yeah, but um, it is a legendary creature, so you can reanimate it with uh, Gorio's Vengeance. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> but I feel like if you're reanimating something good. with Gorio's Vengeance, you probably want to be hitting, like, I don't know, a Grizzlebrand or something. I don't know, maybe a Grizzlebrand, yeah. One other thing to note is that this thing already only has four power, so it's actually quite good to get back with God Pharaoh's Gift if that's something you want to be doing. So that's an sure, interesting yeah. possibility. But, yeah, who knows? I, it's unlikely to be a thing. All right, that completes white for us for the new set, and we get to move on to blue. All right, so first we've got Admiral's Order, which is one UU for an instant counter-target spell, and it has raid. If you attacked with a creature this turn, you may pay blue rather than pay this spell's mana cost. So very good against Settle the Wreckage, mostly cancel in other situations, I think. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. I feel like this reads as counter-target spell for three mana, or counter-target Settle the Wreckage for one mana. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you, if if your objective is to, you know, you have to be attacking, you have to want this in some sort of, probably, maybe like a pirates-based beatdown tempo deck right you've got to be you know needing your opponent to cast spells during your combat step after you've declared attackers which is pretty specific place yeah or you're protecting a spell that that they might want to counter in your second main phase after you've attacked but i think that's also very narrow so right right yeah so it's an interesting card i think that it could potentially be powerful with the right play patterns and i think that if there is a big set of the wreckage deck and you're playing some sort of uh, and you're playing some sort of blue beatdown deck, then you're probably going to want a number of these in your sideboard. Yeah, and the main sort of argument against that that I would have is why not just negate in that situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, right, I don't know. Your your deck would have to be pretty specific to yep. say, man, I really want something that I can do for one mana on my turn to be able to continue to progress my board or whatever. I don't know. This also gives you like an answer to Torrential Gear Hulk later in the game where Negate doesn't do that. And, and I think if that's the set of concerns you're working with is have an answer to settle the wreckage and then if we go late, make sure that I don't get blown out by Torrential Gear Hulk, this may be the sort of split card that you need for that situation. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, like countering both, like efficiently countering Settle the Wreckage and also potentially being able to counter a Gear Hulk of some sort. And honestly, Gear Hulks come down after attacks a lot of the time. Right, um, right. Especially if your opponent's not expecting this thing, then. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that we can solidly put it as a as a D, where it's like a, a, a sideboard card in particular archetypes, but still pretty narrow for the most part. Yeah, I'm not excited about this card, but I'm not as down on it as a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of the articles on the main sites, uh, I, I think the initial response to this card was wow look at this thing and then a lot of the sort of backlash against it has been guys this card is not good i think it's in between those two extremes <laughs> yeah. though well okay so but you know just take a look at this card and notice that it's just cancel you know which is which is fine it's not it's not terrible right it's um, not good but it's not bad yeah right it's not like you can only cast this for one you can still cast it for three as a cancel which is right you know you're sideboarding it in for the best case scenario, which is one mana counter settle the wreckage, its worst case is that it is cancel against a deck that cancel is really good against because they're playing Fumigate and they're playing Torrential Gear Hulk and they're playing like Approach of the Second Sun or whatever. And I think that may be a combination of enough things to make this good. Right, right, for sure. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, the, if the Approach decks continue to look as they do right now, I think that this is just a very good card against them in any sort of blue beatdown strategy yeah yeah i i would be looking for ways to play this spell i think i i think it's cool yeah it even slots well into teamer you know like if <laughs> you, if, if you can afford the double blue then <laughs> right um, right not that we want to be giving teamer anything but you know no definitely not no thank you no um, thank you <laughs> All right, so this next card, probably a stinker, but enough potential here yeah. that I figured we should talk about it. Curious Obsession. So this is blue for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. And at the beginning of your end step, if you didn't attack with a creature this turn, sacrifice Curious Obsession. So there are two reasons that I think this card might be good. Uh, number one is that there are a couple of unblockable merfolk that this is good on. And, you know, the difference between this and Curiosity is that it gives plus one, plus one to the creature, you know, almost for free, which is pretty huge, which is a pretty big upgrade. And the other cool thing is we have Keen Sense in green. So if you really want this effect in a deck, you can play up to eight of it in the deck that already has a couple of unblockable creatures, which, you know... I think is enough to start at least thinking about brewing around. I don't think that this is a great card, but you know the green deck that ha the blue green deck that has eight of these and has some merfolk and has blossoming defense and possibly dive down. The cards are there to make a deck like this. Uh, whether that deck is good or not, it, who knows? But those are my thoughts. I've kind of got an unhealthy obsession with pants. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I learned how to play Magic in Theros block. 
So if anybody remembers that set, then uh, you, you know that putting pants on creatures in yep. heroic, yeah, was uh, something that they pushed pretty hard. So I, you know, I do, I do love me some pants, uh, and I also love drawing cards. So this is kind of you know both of those things in, in one little neat package. Yeah, it um, makes your guy hit harder too, which is it just seems like enough for one mana to, that it might get there. As much as I love it, I I just really don't see this card seeing play and constructed. It could potentially be in some sort of like blue green or blue white boggles list, which I have seen in the past in in modern. Uh, yep. So this like you know this might be another addition to to blue green or blue. I think it's blue white boggles. Um, oh, so what you're saying is this is a multi format all star and gets an A. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, but uh, it's just such a narrow tier three modern for sure archetype that I I don't feel like I would quantify it as an all star there. Likely and, an F. Yeah, so I I think that I would probably rate this an F as much as I don't want to. I just I just don't expect it to see much play. Agree. But if that deck is a thing, that that would make this solidly a D, and I would love for that deck to be a thing. So, all right, next card is. Expel from Orazka, one in a blue. Instant, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, and it has Ascend, and if you have the city's blessing, you can put that permanent on top of its owner's library instead. Yeah, so the there's a big difference between putting something on top of its opponent's library and putting it in their hand. It's like whether yeah. or not they get a draw step, which is pretty, pretty important. I think that the evaluation of this card really depends on how quickly a deck can assemble Ascend. I wonder what kind of uh, verb that w- we should be using to to talk about ascend. How quickly a deck can ascend, I guess. Sure. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and it's it, that's just kind of like a hard thing to evaluate. Either way, I think that there are enough other like already powerful bounce spells that those will probably want to be seeing play. I just don't feel I I don't feel like any deck that wants to play a two mana bounce spell is going to be assembling ascend or I guess ascending too often. That'll be tricky. I wonder how people are going to talk about that. Yeah, I I just don't see I don't see the deck that wants to play a card like this ascending right. terribly often. Um the only reason that I think it's okay maybe is that bounce spells are pretty good against the mono red deck. Like, if you play Rampaging Ferocidon on turn three, and then they return it to your hand, that makes things like your Hazaret very awkward. Casting yeah, your yeah, three-drop yeah. on a different turn is also very awkward. And then later in the game, this isn't card disadvantage. And early in the game against Mono Red, you're you're okay with a little card disadvantage for keeping Hazaret from bashing you. Yeah, But that's narrow enough that it may just never be what you want. So I think this this probably ends up being an F. Yeah, I think that I would probably go with F. But you're right in that, you know, so I played Blue-Green Pummeler and I put some unsummons in my sideboard yep. and they were clutch against uh, against Mono Red a lot of the time. Yeah, you just don't don't realize what's what's possible when you cast your, your red creatures and then they cast an unsummon and you realize you can never deal 20 damage to them before you die. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, but I'd probably stick with F for this one. I, I just don't really see this card having an impact on Constructed. Yeah, probably not. Um, next is Flood of Recollection, which is blue-blue for a sorcery. Return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. Exile Flood of Recollection. Generally, cards like this have potential to be good if you can recur them a lot, but... As it stands, this is more like just kind of like a regrowth effect. And it's a sorcery, yep. and it's kind of hard to cast in double blue. 
If this cost one in a blue, I think it would be one of the most important cards in the set for modern because you could reduce yeah. its cost with Baral or Electromancer. I think it was very intentionally costed at blue blue. So what what how this reads to me is kind of the worst Snapcaster Mage of all time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's not good enough. Yeah, this just doesn't seem like a card that is going to see a lot of play anywhere. I don't think. Like yeah. you would really only want it in some sort of combo deck, some sort of spell based combo deck. And that just doesn't exist in in standard right now. The only card that I could potentially see this wanting to see play with is Search for the Second Sun. Yeah. But if that resolves, it's not going into your graveyard. It's going back into your deck. So you can't right. even you can't even get it with Flood of Recollection. Yeah, I don't see a good way of making this work. And and so I think yeah. even though it has some potential, this probably just ends up being an F. Yeah. That's that's where I would rate it. So this next card. This is a crazy one, and kudos to Wizards for printing this thing. So this is Induced Amnesia, two and a blue, Enchantment. When Induced Amnesia enters the battlefield, target player exiles all cards from his or her hand face down, then draws that many cards. When Induced Amnesia is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return the exile cards to their owner's hand. So, first of all, if you have a way to sacrifice this, which there aren't a lot of ways to sacrifice enchantments, but if you do have a way to sacrifice it, then this reads draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand, which is bonkers. If this ever works, I think it's broken. If there's any way that anybody ever uses this card, it's doing insane things. I think most likely it just does nothing ever. But, uh, you know, there's there's power locked in this card, and there just may not be any way to unlock it, I guess, is, is my read on it. One way to unlock it is to play it alongside a bounce spell. Uh, oh, no, hang on. No, it says it graveyard. Has, it has to that. die, but you oh, could... Oh, no. Okay. Right, right. Interesting. But... You know, even a naturalize effect, if there is like a playable, like a main deckable naturalize effect, hint, hint, there is at least one in this set, um, and you, you could turn <laughs> this into drawing a lot of extra cards. Um, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting card. I don't think that we've ever really seen anything like this. It's just kind of a little too difficult to make work, at least in standard. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are sack outlets in modern that exist. But this, to me, seems a little too bad for modern. Just like a three-mana draw spell is never really yeah. something that you want to be doing in modern. The way this feels to me is it's a bulk rare for three or four years, and then somebody just breaks the hell out of it, <laughs> and foil ones are worth $20 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for a couple of weeks or something until the deck turns out not to actually be good, but it was amazing for a little while. Um, right. So... That, you know that gets an F in a set review, but this is this is not like a three mana two two that could never do anything. This has a lot of very powerful potential implications, just that right, likely right, are right. not going to be realized. Yeah, it's it's a strange card. It has powerful potential, and it's it's just a weird card. And it's you know it's kind of hard to see exactly where it would go and how yeah. it would be used. But yeah, I mean it's definitely an interesting one. So for for the um, commander players out there, if anyone uses Airtai the Corrupted, the classic. Plane shift, whatever it is. Airtai the corrupted. Who, I, uh, uh, I can't help you there. I, I yeah. don't. I don't really speak commander. Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he's a he's an esper colored commander who lets you sacrifice creatures or enchantments to counter spells. Uh, this card is Whoa. very crazy with that commander. So uh, okay. I 
you know, if I were actually into Commander, I'd probably be excited about that. All right, next card is Kumena's Awakening. Uh, it's an enchantment for 2UU. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player draws a card, and it has Ascend, and if you have the City's Blessing, instead only you draw a card. So, Howling Mine, mm -hmm. essentially. But better, because um, since it's your upkeep. Yeah, you're making both players draw extra cards per turn cycle. And then if you have Ascend, then it kind of turns into Phyrexian Arena, uh, which is pretty good. And could potentially be like a strong card for like maybe an interesting sideboard tech in particular matchups where you would want kind of like the Phyrexian Arena side and you know the game's going to go long enough where you're eventually sure. going to like, you know, get seven lands into play and have some permanence. Especially in like control mirrors where a lot of the cards that you each have don't matter that much because either yeah. they're, you're trading for each other very easily or they're removal spells that never become super relevant, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely you know, if you if you slam this in the control mirror on turn four, that would that could potentially be pretty good where, you know, you're both gonna be making land drops every turn because you're drawing extra cards. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, after you get to that point, then you're just gonna be drawing more cards per yeah. turn than your opponent. And you should generally be able to utilize that pretty well. It's interesting. But I, I, I don't really see this being part of any main deck. Right. Unless we end up with some sort of Turbo Fog deck or like 12 Wrath of God deck or something like that. But that's pretty unlikely, I think. <laughs> right. 12 uh, Turbo Fog would be... They want as many Howling Mines as they can possibly get. So. Yeah. I think uh, we have neither the Fogs nor the Howling Mines for a Turbo Fog deck in Standard. So we're a little ways off of that. <laughs> so D at best, but probably never... Yeah. I mean, probably see some sideboard play. I'd, I'd be surprised if I this was that, never I think in. that I would say that this is like a D minus. Yeah, yeah, where, that sounds about right. You know, it'll see a little bit of cyber play, probably, over the course of its career in standard. Yep. Next we've got Mistcloaked Herald, which is one blue for a 1-1 one, one Merfolk Warrior, and it is unblockable. That's it. Yeah, can't be blocked. 1-1 one, one Merfolk Warrior. I like this card. Yeah. I think that there is high potential for there to be some sort of very aggressive bunch of one-drops Merfolk deck that utilizes the Merfolk Lord to make them bigger, and also the um, the new Deep Water Elite that, you know, whenever you cast another Merfolk, you can make something bigger. And Kamena itself. Kamena really, you, you want to be like curving out into Kamena to be able to start drawing cards as soon as you can. Um, yeah, and this is just like you know, if you go one drop, two drop, Kamena, then you could draw a card that turn, um, and just kind of like start that engine rolling. Yeah, and I think the Merfolk deck with all the card drawing wants to use every single one of its mana over the course of the the first several turns if it can, and this is one of the ways to fill in those gaps. So yeah, yeah. I, I think this and the is fact that it likely. has that like card drawing potential makes the fact that it's just a one one for one and not high impact on its own kind of okay right because you converted one of your cards and that's all you want to do so i like this card i think that it's going to be a format or not a format but a, an archetype staple so i think i'm pretty safely going to call it a, a c yeah i i think so i think merfolk actively yeah. is looking at this as one of the cards that that makes a difference to the deck i, I right. think c makes sense to me and you know the the final build of merfolk in standard or whatever just might not run it and is like goes in a different direction i think there are a lot of different directions that merfolk could go into but Personally, I think that playing one drops in your Merfolk deck is, is something that you're going to want to do. 
yeah, I, I would start out with looking at one drops uh, before realizing that they're not. I think that's where you start. Maybe they end up not being good, but my default right. assumption is you want them. Yeah, yeah. So next up, we've got Nezahal, Primal Tide. So this is one of the Elder Dinosaurs. 5UU for a 7-7. It cannot be countered. You have no maximum hand size. Whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, draw a card. And it has... Discard three cards, exiled Nazahal, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So to me, this reads like a sideboard card for control mirrors that is very, very difficult to deal with once you get to seven mana. Yeah. Yeah, and to me, it's kind of reminiscent of, wasn't there some sort of like flash, big, blue creature? I think is what you're thinking of probably. Yeah. And, And I think this fulfills a similar role. Right. Um, this one doesn't have flash, so it's going to kind of like be more difficult to pick your spot with, but it can't be countered, which is, yep. you know, definitely a good thing going for it. And it has this like weird kind of pseudo uh, like hexproof ability where if your opponent ever points something at it, then you can A, say, okay, trigger, draw a card. All right, and then now discard three cards, blink it effectively. Uh, and, you know, if it ever gets out of control, I think that it'll be, you know, very good at, you know, drawing you a bunch of extra cards to kind of, like, finish off the, the control mirror. Uh, my only concern with this card is that three cards to discard is, like, a lot. Like, I know generally you have, like, seven cards in hand, and it does help that whenever your opponent casts a non-creature spell, you draw a card with this guy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very similar ability to whenever they play a removal spell on it, it's, like, discard two cards to counter that for yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. So it gives you like lots of force of wills against removal spells that they're using on it, which yes, is probably yeah. good enough, you know, because you're probably getting rid of, you know, removal spells and stuff that weren't great in the mirror anyways. Just like lands um, and stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, and especially you if want, part you want of, as many lands and plays you can for, for control, but yeah. True. But, and especially if part of your board plan for the mirror is that howling mind thing, then uh, these, these control mirrors are going to get kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, I think that if yeah if control mirrors are going to be a thing, then this is definitely something that you're going to want to have access to. Yep, not a main deck card though, because this is some sort of garbage against Whirler Virtuoso. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I think this yeah. lands at a D. Yeah, makes sense to me. Next we've got, and this is probably not going to see constructed play. So this is mm-hmm. Riverwise Augur, three and a blue for a two-two, Merfolk Wizard. When it enters the battlefield, Brainstorm. And kind of the only reason that I put this on here is because in Modern, this is one of the very, very few ways to set up Miracles. I don't think that that's good enough, but, you know, this still is a 4-mana 2-2 that you get a free card. In Modern, there are fetch lands and you can Brainstorm, but 4-mana is probably too much to pay for this effect. So, those are my thoughts on this thing. Yeah, Four mana is just a bit too much, I think, for modern. Uh, and in standard, there just aren't really enough ways to shuffle your library to, yeah. you know, be able to utilize this effect as well as you want to be utilizing a brainstorm effect. Draw three, put two on top. You want to be able to shuffle those two away and kind of get rid of them. But brainstorm is a powerful mechanic if you can get it to work. It's just, I think, too much mana in this case. Yes. Compare this card to Jace the Mind Sculptor. A four mana two two <laughs> that brainstorms once versus a planeswalker that brainstorms every single turn. <laughs> yeah, a bit, a bit different, a bit, different. a bit, a bit 
less a bit lower power level these days yeah for that particular effect so uh, uh, an f an f but i think worth at least mentioning you know for what it could do right then we've got c floor oracle 2uu for a 2-3 merfolk wizard whenever a merfolk you control deals combat damage to a player draw a card so i love me a coastal piracy effect <laughs> biden of thassa is, is what i think of when i think of this kind of effect yeah true that's a little more um, recent. Yeah, you know, turning all of your beaters into more cards, uh, or not turning them into, but, you know, allowing them to generate you more cards is um, always a good thing, I think. <laughs> My concern is that it's not like an enchantment. It's like it's on a creature, and it's got a 2-3 body, and it costs 4 mana. So I'm just worried that this is just going to be able to die a, a little too often. And in order for you to get the maximum utility out of this guy, you're going to need to land him have him survive and attack with a couple of creatures that connect you know if if now okay we're looking at that as like the scenario of which he's good it feels a little bit too win more where we're already connecting with creatures and they aren't killing our guy so i don't know it, it seems tough to make this as good as i think people want it to be I think it's just one of those cards that like definitely looks good in a vacuum, but the reality is that your opponent's like playing creatures, being able to block. Yeah, so are we thinking not playable at all, probably? I don't know. I uh, I think that some people are definitely going to try it. I think that it has you know made its way into a lot of people's merfolk lists, but mm -hmm. my prediction is that this won't. It's not a Kamena. It's not gonna. It's not gonna survive past the first couple of weeks of standard, in my opinion. Yeah. I would be a little surprised if this is where the Merfolk decks end up after they've been, you know, put through the ringer a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The The way that I see this being good is if it turns out that Deep Root Waters is great in the Merfolk decks, then this has the potential to just convert that into a huge snowball effect. But that is also a lot of mana spent on cards that are not themselves doing anything. Yeah, yeah. So it, that would take a while to set up. Yeah, it would. Probably an F. Um, yeah, I think probably an F, but potentially a C or a D, depending on, you know, how good it ends up being. Yeah. Likely yep. a D. So now we've got Secrets of the Golden City. This is one UU for draw two cards, and then it has Ascend, and if you have the City's Blessing, draw three cards instead. Uh, I like this card. Yeah? Worst case, a, you know, Divination, which is kind of fine, but, you know, drawing three cards for three mana is... is really nice it's really yep. good in in standard at least yeah i just don't know that i see a way for this to you know with the control decks that you know would want just raw card drawing spells in you know the more cards like secrets of the golden city you're playing the tougher it is to get the city's blessing because you know the only thing you're really doing to get there is playing lands and and that's kind of a tough ask yeah yeah and you know, obnoxiously enough, you know, Divination has never been good, but there have been times when, like, you could play Divination. But, like, right now, people's third turn is Rogue Refiner, which is Divination, but one of the cards you draw is a zero mana 3-2, and also you get some energy, which converts into some other board presence. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, this in the face of what we're currently looking at for standard is uh, not, yeah. not great. <laughs> not, not awesome. Yeah. But I do, I do think that if you're playing a control deck, 
you know, you're you're playing in the later portions of the game and you're just looking for a card that's going to refuel you. You know, we already have Glimmer, which mm-hmm. does a pretty good job of that, but this could potentially be something else like that as well. But yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying and, and maybe it's just, you know, asking too much. Yeah. So I would probably put this at a D. I, I can see scenarios yeah. where, where this is fine, but I can also see this never being in a real deck. Yeah, definitely. I, I would be not surprised at all to see this seed never, never really see any play in Constructed. Yeah. But, I, you know, maybe there's some control decks that want this effect. And, and I mean, I am hoping for Constructed where this is a good card. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. All right, so next we've got a particularly easy card to evaluate. We've got <laughs> Silvergill Adept, one in a blue for a 2-1. As an additional cost to cast Silvergill Adept, reveal a Merfolk card from your hand or pay three generic mana. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. So this is an easy A, multi-format all-star. Great card. Yeah, this this one's been around already and kind of proven its salt in the Merfolk deck in Modern, and I'm not going to be surprised at all to see it also be very successful in the new standard Merfolk archetypes, whatever yep. those may look like. I think that this is going to be in there no matter what. Yep. Actually, I guess this is a card where the rating scale breaks down a little bit, because it's great in lots of different formats, including legacy but it's great in exactly one deck in each of those yeah it's kind of like an a slash c you know what i mean yeah (laughs) where it's it's only ever going to see play in the merfolk archetype but it it, it, you know it's seeing play in in modern so right um and legacy so i mean so it is it is good Nobody's tuning into this set review to figure out, have us tell them how good Silvergirl Adept is. It's going to be a four of in literally any build of standard merfolk that you could possibly come up with, and yeah. that's that. Next up, we've got an interesting one. Yeah, this one's dope, and the art is is wonderful. So this is Timestream Navigator, one in a blue for a 1-1 one, one human pirate wizard. It's got a send, and then it's got an activated ability. 2-U-U, tap put Timestream Navigator on the bottom of its owner's library. Take an extra turn after this one. Activate this ability only if you have the City's Blessing. The thing I like the most about this card is that if you deck yourself and have <laughs> Ascended, then you win the game. Well, uh, not kind of. quite. I guess you would need... You uh, need some it, way of it, making have to get... copies of this or something like that, um, I think. Because if you draw it, then you play it and it has Summoning Sickness... Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about the summoning sickness. But, so it's not but it's not quite yeah. as, as dope as I want it to be. It's not like an artifact that you can activate immediately and put on top of your library. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this might just have too many hoops. It's a super cool design, but I think for me this ends up getting an F. I, I don't think that... I think just being a 1-1 and then having to get over summoning sickness somehow, you know, maybe there's some weirdo modern combo deck at some time that, like imprints this on a soul foundry or something like that and makes copies of it and takes infinite turns but outside of that i i don't think that this gets i don't see a fair way of making this card good you know yeah it's pretty narrow i guess if you give it haste somehow yeah but yeah i don't know it just seems like a kind of like a sweet effect yep definitely (laughs) the the thing that immediately seemed really sweet to me there's a card from original ravnica block called followed footsteps which is an enchant creature that at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a token into play that's a copy of enchanted creature. So after a couple of turns of having 
uh, follow footsteps on this thing. You have the city's blessing, and then enough of them that you can just keep act- keep taking extra turns. That is <laughs> far too janky of a combo to actually work, but it is, to me, you know, th- like, that's something that I would love to pull off in some format somewhere. Sure, yeah, I can see that. But realistically... I, I gotta give it an F. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, if we're being honest, then, you know, realistically, I don't expect this to see any play. It's just it's just gonna be too hard to make work appropriately. Unfortunate, but probably true. But, you know, just a, a sweet effect, I think. Yep, I agree. Cool design, I, I like it, I'm glad it's in the set, but I don't think I'll ever be casting it. Right. Last card for blue is Warkite Marauder. One in a blue for a 2-1 flying human pirate. Whenever Warkite Marauder attacks, target creature defending player controls loses all abilities and has base power and toughness 0-1 until end of turn. Yeah, so I think that this card is very strong. If there is some sort of blue pirate-oriented beatdown deck, then this is kind of where I want it to start, you know? You can really mess up any any sort of blocker with this guy. And it, it kind of feels like a repeatable target creature can't block this turn effect. That to me seems really strong. The the one that we've seen recently in standard has been on an exert creature, so you can have it happen every other turn. But this one is something that happens every turn that it attacks, and it has evasion, and relevant creature um, type. Yeah, it's only two mana. Yeah, and it's only two mana. So you know that it's just a lot of stuff going for it here. It also makes whatever creature you're targeting shockable. Like, all of a sudden, their Bristling Hydra, which you couldn't remove with anything, is likely, uh, uh, you know, vulnerable to shock, unless they activate its ability in response to this, or have yeah. put a couple of plus one, plus one counters on it already. Like, like And this... that'll, yeah, that'll eat through your opponent's mana pretty quickly, if you, or not mana, their energy pretty quickly, if they yeah. feel obligated to activate their Bristling Hydra every time you target it with this Marauder. Yep. This also gets pumped by favorable wins, if that's a deck. Yeah. Um, a, you know, it's a pirate you can reveal to uh, the one mana 2-2 two, two that we'll talk about later. So I, I think in any, if there is a blue pirate deck, this is an important piece of it. And I hope there is. I, uh, I, I think that that would be a really fun archetype to have competitive and standard. Yep, I agree. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and give this guy a C. I think I like it a lot, and I think that there is a lot of possible uses for it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, we're moving on to black now. So the first card we've got in the black color is Champion of Dusk. So this is a rare, it's a five mana black vampire knight, and it's a four four. It says when Champion of the Dusk enters the battlefield, you draw X cards and you lose X life where X is the number of vampires you control. Whoa. Yeah, it's potentially a lot of cards. Yeah, so, you know, if you're putting this guy in a, like, a go-wide vampires deck, I'm actually kind of, like, concerned about losing too much life. Right. <laughs> you're trying a lot of cards. <laughs> you know, say, you know, say you're, I, honestly, in a vampires deck, though, if you've got, like, that many life-linking vampire tokens, then losing yep. the life probably isn't that big of a deal. You um, instantly so gain like, it back, basically. So Right. So you've got, like, seven, like, one-one lifelink vampires. You can play well. this guy, draw seven <laughs> cards, lose seven life, and then just attack with all of your dudes and gain that life back immediately. Um, and you've drawn so much cards and gotten so much value that you just like you don't care how many guys your opponents can block. Or, you know, much um, more realistically, you've got like 
an Adanto Vanguard and two tokens out, this guy comes into play, you draw four cards and then gain two of your life back. Like, right, that's right. really good too. Yeah, yeah. Bare minimum, say you top deck this guy after your opponent's like cast Wrath of Guard, then, you know, it's a, it's a dude that cantrips. Yep. My main concern is that this is the worst possible stat line and mana cost to play into your opponent's Glorybringer turn. Um, and <laughs> yes. I, honestly, that may be enough to keep it from being playable because you cannot play this and then get Glorybringered. You will lose that game. Yeah, you're probably just going to be pretty pretty close to dead at that point. Yeah. Just just from life total. But, you know, if, if the rest of your deck is, like, you know, life gain oriented, then it, it might still be okay. Yeah, but that that tempo loss on its own is enough that I'd, I'd be very cautious about playing this against, you know, the four glory bringer builds of teamer energy. Right, 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 right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, interesting card for sure. I think that if there's like a go wide vampires deck that doesn't mind playing five drops, then it'll definitely see play in there. And has to be playing black as well, because I think there are, there are a number of ways to build it as a monocolored deck. So you have That's to want true. black to it too. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not this sees play, but its effect is powerful. Yep, very powerful. Those restrictions on it are pretty real, though, and it's hard for me to give this more than a D, although I, I totally respect the potential power level of it, and it, it could just be great. You know, sometimes you're just going to draw a ton of cards with it, and that may may make it a, an important card in the new standard. Yeah, I think that that sums up my thoughts on it pretty well, for sure. Um, all right, next up we've got Dire Fleet Poisoner. So this guy's kind of fun. Uh, it's a human pirate. It's a two-mana 2-2, two, two, one and a black. It's got flash and death touch. So two-mana 2-2 two, two flash death touch is pretty good, honestly. Yeah, yeah um, relevant creature type, easy to cast. Yeah, uh, it's a human and it's yep. a pirate. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, some, some potential there. Uh, I don't really expect it to see play in modern. It's not really what you want. Um, right. And this guy, this other interesting line of text that kind of gets gives it a, a unique angle. And it says, when Dire Fleet Poisoner enters the battlefield, target attacking pirate you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains death touch until end of turn. Yeah. So the utility on this card is just crazy in a pirate's deck. It's either an excellent defensive creature where you flash it in and you block your opponent's big attacker and it's got death touch so you can probably kill it. And... It's also good when you're attacking. So it kind of like acts as a combat trick and allows your, like, say you have a small pirate that's attacking, it allows that to trade into whatever blocked it. Or, you know, it does plus, give it plus one, plus one. So it could potentially uh, allow your attacking pirate to eat another creature. Right. And that's what I really love about it. Like, in, and I mean, I'm going to use Teamer for basically all of my examples, but that's the world we live in. But say you're in a red-black pirate's deck and your first play is the one-mana 2-2 pirate. If you're on the draw and they play like a servant or a long-tusk cub, they probably want to block your 2-2 with it because they don't want to take damage from the black-red aggro deck that early. They can't do that in a world where you're running four Dire Fleet Poisoners. They just cannot block in that situation because that's such a huge blowout for them. Yeah, I I think that this card is very strong. So I think that it's probably going to see play in... This might be even our first B. Yeah, I, I honestly want to give this a B. The only thing holding it back is is that it is a, a creature-type-based card, but I think any pirate deck that's running black, this is one of the best cards in the deck. 
Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's it might even go beyond archetype staple. It, it definitely will be an archetype staple at least. But, you know, maybe black decks just want to be playing this kind of effect. It really good against Bristling Hydra. Right. And really good. What I what I love with this card is one of the really sweet red pirates just happens to be a two mana two one for a striker. Uh, and so they can never block that if you're holding up two mana. And that's right, pretty cool. Right. Yeah, so definitely like this card a lot. And I, I think that I, I would rate it a B. I think that even even decks that don't really care as much about the pirate theme are still going to be playing this card in, in some numbers. And not all black decks, for sure, but, um, yeah. you know, some of them. I think that pirate restriction, for me, puts it in that gray area between, you know, C plus, B minus. But I, I am looking forward to playing with this card. I, I really love this thing, so... That, you know, that's my main conclusion about it. Next up, we've got another card that might kind of get up there in, in ratings a little bit. This is Dusk Legion Zealot. It's a one in a black for a 1-1. One, one. When Dusk Legion Zealot enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose a life. Yep. So this is the vampire black equivalent of Elvish Visionary, which is kind of a proven powerful magic card. Mm-hmm. So this might even get into the B territory as well, where having like right. a jump blocker and a cycle is just kind of a powerful effect. Yeah, I mean, it may not matter at all that this is a vampire for some of the decks that want to play it. There are just decks that wanted Elvish Visionary but couldn't cast it for whatever reason. Not super likely, probably more likely that this is something that helps with your synergies. You get to draw an extra card if you're running the champion of dusk or you get to get an extra body that's being pumped by your lord effects but you know elvish visionary is a powerful card that often is what you want in that tribal deck and this does a very good impression of that for the vampire tribe yeah yeah definitely so yeah you know i think this card's pretty powerful yeah and just kind of like a good utility card to have uh, probably a C. I think any vampire deck that's running black has to look pretty carefully at this thing. And then, you know, if there are weird value decks that do odd things with creatures and have black mana, the two mana guy that draws you card when it comes into play is something you got to think about. So, All right, next up we've got Golden Demise. So it's a three mana sorcery, one black black. It's got to send. It says all creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. If you have the city's blessing, instead only creatures your opponents control get minus two, minus two until end of turn. So I think that this is also kind of, it's kind of like a mix between a C and a D, I guess. It's it's like, it's, it's, it's going to be a sideboard card a lot of the time. But I think that it's going to be a sideboard card that most black decks want to have access to. Just having that like general three mana sweeper effect, pick up all these little dudes seems very powerful especially the after we've been seeing so many one mana two power guys being printed recently and and both vampires and merfolk are vulnerable to this type of effect yeah vampires and merfolk and even just like a pirate's beatdown archetype could be could be pretty vulnerable to this card yep it's an interesting yep. one i think this is going to be one of the most important sideboard cards in the format you want access to this after the format goes in a lot of the you know possible directions that it could go in so i think this is super important see like cd level card yeah even if it is technically a d because it's a sideboard card it's one that is going to be cast a lot and win a lot of games yeah kind of like just like another drown in sorrow effect kind of deal yeah i mean infest is always a relevant card to at least be thinking about and i think we're going into a standard hopefully we're going into a standard where that particularly is an effect that 
that you want access to. Right. Next up, we've got one of those cards I was talking about. Effectively a two-power, one-mana creature. It's uh, it's a 1-1 one, one for 1 in black. Grasping Scoundrel. Grasping Scoundrel gets plus 1, plus 0 as long as it's attacking. So it's just your generic beat-down creature that has kind of finagled its way into being a 2-1 for 2-1. <laughs> <for one. laughs> yep. And relevant creature type, you know, this guy can get plus 1, plus 1 in Death Touch from your... Yeah, it's a human uh, pirate. Yep. So it can, it can definitely get there with some synergies. I'm seeing a lot of potential in both vampires and merfolk and pirates to have just kind of like multiple one-drop beatdown oriented archetypes that could, could exist in standard. And this is just kind of another role player in that archetype. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like this card in that deck. You know, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing super powerful. But the difference between casting a relevant one-drop and beating down and trying to start on t- turn two is... It's a big difference. So this helps probably like a black-red deck to get there. The one thing that I'm really concerned about, though, is that we still have very bad options for allied colored decks that want to cast one-drops. You can cast this guy off of Unclaimed Territory, but in like a black-red deck, it's going to be tough. You got to choose which color you're trying to cast your one-drops from, and that may may be enough to hold this type of deck back. Because the, the lands just are not that good. Right. The, yeah, the mana base, in, like, if you're trying to be two colors, the mana base is definitely going to be something that you're going to have to figure out. Yeah, I agree. If your plan is to, like, curve out with a bunch of creatures that are on tribe theme, then unclaimed territory can definitely be useful there. But there just aren't a lot of other dual lands, uh, you know. Right. Because Dragon Skull Summit and Canyon Sloth, like, both don't cast a one drop. And that's a little frustrating when trying to put this thing together. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it looks like we're getting the cards to see that kind of archetype exist, but as it feels like we're a little restricted to maybe one color, which is going to be much more difficult. Yeah, and that's that's a little unfortunate, but we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out, I guess. Given that the the best that I can the best grade that I can give this guy is probably a D. Yeah. If yeah, yeah, you yeah. manage to make that aggro deck work, then it'll be fine. But it may not. Be a buildable thing so we've got masterminds acquisition so this is uh we've kind of seen this a little bit before but it it's got an interesting twist to it so it's yeah it's kind of like diabolic tutor so it's it's a four mana sorcery it's got it's two black black and it says choose one search your library for a card and put it into your hand then shuffle your library so okay it's diabolic tutor but it also has this other potentially really sweet option and it says, uh, choose a card you own from outside of the game and put it into your hand. Mm-hmm. And in competitive magic, what that really means is uh, search your library, for, not not your library, search your sideboard for a card and put it into your hand. So so it's kind of like this weird like wish slash tutor card that you can play. Unfortunately, that kind of effect for four mana is just never really something that sees play. Four mana is just yeah. too much for that effect. I think um, that is just so as, too as sweet expensive. as this card is. I'm I'm would probably would be inclined to give it an F. Yep, I don't have much more to say about it. I I think it's really cool, but you just can't take a whole turn off to do this. Um, so yeah, unfortunately an F. All right, and then we've got Moment of Craving. So this is an instant for two mana, one in a black. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. You gain two life. This feels just a little too weak to see constructed play. Like, it's fine, and maybe would see play in, like, a mono-black deck that doesn't really have a lot of good options for 
like two mana removal spell and you gain two life off of it so it's kind of good against mono red after it kills a guy but i don't know i it just feels like paying two mana for minus two minus two isn't exactly where you want to be even though it gains you two life in the process um, yeah I'm just i think it's of... just like a exactly two-thirds of essence extraction pretty much uh, yeah yeah w- which is probably an okay sideboard card if you're the deck that you're worried about has creatures that line up such that you want the two mana version that does two-thirds as much um, right that's a very specific set of things that need to go right for it so you know that puts this at like a d minus or something or an f f plus i guess yeah yeah personally i'm just not really impressed with this so d yeah, yeah d minus f plus is probably a good 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 place to put it yep I think it's just one that, you know, you want to have in the back of your head as a possibility if you need that exact, you know, 15th sideboard card because you need a thing that's good against mono red and blah, 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 but not an important card. All right, moving on, we've got Oathsworn Vampire. So this is a two mana, two, two Vampire Knight. Oathsworn Vampire enters the battlefield tapped and you may cast Oathsworn Vampire from your graveyard if you gained life this turn. So maybe there's, you know, something going for some sort of life gain themed vampire deck. And that could just be as easy as, you know, having a bunch of 1-1 vampire lifelinkers. The problem is a pretty low payoff for that, though. Yeah, the problem is that there's just not really much payoff for this. You're you're just getting a bear that you can cast over and over again. So kind of skeptical about the power level of this guy. But it could potentially be a, a D, something that you'd maybe narrowly want to see play in an archetype yeah i think that is probably a stretch i mean the amount of times that this could potentially come back you know this has sort of a grave crawler ish kind of feel to it but instead of being a one mana two power creature it's a two mana two two that comes into play tat that makes it a lot worse you know if it were more bloodgasty if it was like whenever you gained life you could put it into play then then i'd be very interested but this is a tough thing to to spend your mana on so i probably this doesn't see any play but i wanted to at least mention it because it is cool uh yeah definitely um all right next up we've got a card that's kind of received a lot of discussion lately ravenous chupacabra so this is a four mana two 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 black black when ravenous chupacabra enters the battlefield destroy target creature and opponent controls and it's a beast horror yep this card is very, very good, I think. Uh, pretty clearly. Yeah, I think this card is really good. And so Patrick Sullivan actually went off on a rant on this guy uh, <laughs> during the stream of SCG Columbus. And essentially what he was talking about was that the fact that they printed this card is just kind of like daggers for anybody who wants to be playing sweet, big payoff cards, you know? Yep. Like, you know, if I want to, if I, if anybody ever wants to play a really cool big creature that's going to beat down really well, then this card just kind of makes that unfortunate for them. It's just destroy anything and, and yep. then you get a bear. And it's just sort of an example of how we've moved to a place in Magic where all of your creatures need to either cost basically no mana or you need to get the benefit of that creature immediately upon their coming into play. And you can see that in Teamer, where you've got Long Tusk Cub and a bunch of guys with comes into play abilities. Uh, yeah. And that's why that's the best deck in the format, is because it, it conforms to these rules of what kinds of creatures you can play in modern-day magic. Um, 
and Ravenous Chupacabra also conforms to those rules. I think this card is just going to be very, very good. Comes down and murders a Glorybringer or whatever is giving you trouble, leaves a body behind, you know, is great with any sort of blink effects or reanimation effects or or whatever, if if that's part of your deck as well, then I think is just, uh, you know, I think yes, this is going to see a ton of play. So, yeah, I might, I might, might call this one a beat. I think so. I'd be surprised if this didn't see just a lot of widespread play. One place that I am actually excited to use this card is there have been like almost enough cards for sort of a black-white value deck that runs like Gifted Aetherborn and Gaunti and Dusk Till Dawn. And this guy sort of slots perfectly in that deck. You know, oh, doesn't die to your Dusk Till Dawn, Dusk comes to back dawn. with your Dawn. And so these value black creatures go really really now, well Dustin with that Don card power for when it comes back to the graveyard is that right yep so it, you get this you get your um gontis you get your gifted etherborns back and i think that we're pretty close to that being good enough you know put in some lilianas find some other white cards that are good in there and you might have yourself a deck maybe an elder dragon with indestructible <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably not, it's but. true it does not die to <laughs> dusk <laughs> yeah does it die to dusk you can't get it back, but, you know, you can get it back with Liliana. I'm probably going to try to make that deck work, um, and Ravenous Chupacabra is probably a very big part of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good card. It's a it's a body, and it comes into play, and it kills your opponent's creature. It's just, yep. you know, it's just kind of strong. does the same thing every single time you cast it, and uh, <laughs> that's kind of what, what you need to be a good card these days. So next up, we've got the Black Elder Dragon. Elder Dinosaur. Or, yeah, I guess he's not a dragon. He's a dinosaur. That's kind yeah. of the, the whole deal with the set. He's Tetsumok, Primal Death, Legendary Creature. Uh, he's a 6-mana six 6-6 six, six for Black Black. He's got Death Touch. And he's got this crazy ability. So you can play. <laughs> you can pay a Black Mana and reveal him from your hand to put a Prey Counter on Target Creature. And you can activate this ability only during your turn. When Tesmok enters the battlefield, destroy each creature your opponents control with a prey counter on it. It's uh, it's it's kind of like this weird ominous ability that you can be activating that has this weird effect on the game if you're doing it, you know, before the turn that you just cast him. But he also has the other ability of like, you top deck him late in the game and have like eight mana, and it's just eight mana. 6-6 six, six death touch to kill two of your guys, which right. seems also very, very strong. So I think that this guy is potentially good. I just have no idea what kind of deck he would want to find himself in. So right. in terms of constructed playability, I don't know. There's no archetype right now that exists that would want this kind of guy, but maybe potentially we're going to see something that will want him at some point. So who knows? Yeah, I think the power is there. I, I don't see exactly how to use this guy, you know, what deck to slot him into. But, uh, you know, he does a lot of cool things. I, I mean, he does one cool thing, which is, like, be ominous and then kill a bunch of your opponent's creatures. And that's that's decent. You know, I, I don't know if I can give this guy a C without knowing what he slots into, but I want to. Right. Yeah, I don't know. He's probably, either he's going to be really busted and played in all black decks and is like the next glory bringer, in which case he'd be a B. Or he's just kind of like fine and every once in a while he gets C's play in some sort of archetype. 
Or he just never fits well into any archetype and never sees any play. And there, there are good, powerful cards that just never fit into archetypes in standard True. and never see any play. And he might end up being one of those. But I could, I could reasonably see him being powerful enough to just, you know, be played in a bunch of black midrangey decks. Yeah, I'm going to be optimistic here and call it a C. I, I like this card. I think it's powerful. Sure. Next up, we've got Twilight Prophet. This is two black black uh, for a 2-4 flying vampire. So four mana flyer for, it's a 2-4 body. It's got a send, and it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have the city's blessing, reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand. Each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the card's converted mana cost. People, I think, were generally excited about this card when it was first spoiled, mm-hmm. but I, I'm pretty unimpressed. I think that this card is going to be good or bad depending on whether or not you can ascend quickly. If you yeah. can ascend quickly, then this card is pretty good. Um, I I just don't know. I don't have a really good read on how quickly you can ascend. So this card might not really be as good as people think it is. It's got a huge Um, difference between having 10 permanents and not having 10 permanents, for sure. The thing that really makes me question this card is its massive vulnerability to Glorybringer, which um, is just something you got to keep in mind. Um, You don't get any benefit from it, even if you do have the City's Blessing. You don't get anything from it until you untap with it. And I think... Since you're paying four mana for a 2-4 body, that's just a little too much to ask. And I, I think probably this doesn't make the cut. Um, yeah, I, I would be surprised if this saw a lot of play. Yeah, I, I mean... So I, I would lean towards rating this enough. Yeah, I agree. That's what I would go with too as well. Um, and that concludes all of our black cards. We start out red with a uh, kind of a bang. <laughs> an, an interesting one, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Blood Sun... Two in a red. Enchantment. When Blood Sun enters the battlefield, draw a card. All lands lose all abilities except mana abilities. So just to briefly go over what this actually does. Anything that is not the tap ability that adds mana, the cards lose. So that means stuff like fetch lands stop working, bounce lands. All lands come into play untapped. Even So even like bounce lands come into play untapped and they don't bounce a land to your hand. Urza lands still work completely. Weirdly enough, Urborg, Tomb of Yawgmoth still works under this because of layers. So I mean, that's, that's what this card does. I am going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say this card sees a ton of play in a lot of different formats and I, I think this card is excellent. Yeah, if, if anything is going to be an A in the set, then I think it's going to be Blood Sun. Yep. It's it's a weird one because it's like land hate that doesn't affect Tron, but it's an incredible card in a Tron deck to shut down Valakut decks and can also have some application against like, you know, Death Shadow or other fetch land heavy decks. And the fact that you draw most of the evaluations that I've seen of it where people are kind of like questioning its its usefulness seem to mostly be ignoring the fact that you draw a card when this thing comes into play. And that's yeah. incredible. Like Yeah, very, very good. Um like and the fact tra- that it that it combos with certain cards as well. Like it certainly it shuts off a lot of lands. If you're playing fetch lands, you're gonna have a bad time with Blood Sun. But it combos with Karoos really well. It just turns them right. into soul lands, which is crazy. Yeah. Um it also you know if you have a way to sacrifice enchantments, this combos with Dark Depths. I think there's just enough there 
that there's going to be a ton of use for this, and and I I think it's going to see widespread play, and I'm not afraid to just give this an A. Yeah, I I, I definitely think that this will have have a lot of interesting applications in modern specifically. Yeah, like a a a red Tron deck can just main deck this, and it's gonna really mess with a lot of other decks. Because especially in the Tron deck, it protects your lands from Ghost Quarters and Tectonic Edges and uh, the new one. It shuts off their fetch lands, and it gives you great game against Valakut, which is one of your worst matchups without this card. So I, you know, this could easily just be a main deck like three of in a in an Urza deck, in, in a Tron deck, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, a lot of really crazy, weird, synergistic applications, for sure, for sure. Yep. And uh, just speaking of Karoos, you know, there's a modern deck that plays Karoos and plays red cards. So sending <laughs> this into Amulet could be interesting. The problem is that Amulet also plays a bunch of other utility lands. Like you want to be giving your Titans haste. So Right. It would have to be a very different Amulet deck. It, yeah, it, it wouldn't be Amulet really because Amulet is, you know, disynergistic with Blood Sun. But like some sort of weird crew deck could be interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Some space to, to brew with. Yeah, definitely. The fact that it is a great defensive card for some decks and possibly even a combo piece, like there's just so many applications for this that I I don't see a world where none of them come to fruition. So Right. Right. Yeah. So not great um, in yeah, standard, but but in older formats, it just does a ton. So next we got another pretty good card. Um this one specifically for standard. Uh Daring Buccaneer is one red for a two two human pirate. As an additional cost to cast Daring Buccaneer, reveal a pirate card from your hand or pay two. So we got um, a red aggressive pirate deck. This slots right in. Yep. It's a 2-2 two, two for one in a, specifically a red pirate deck. Which seems like it, th- there's like a trend towards really, really pushing tribal synergies in, mm-hmm. in Constructed, it feels like, with the set. So yep. uh, I think that that's part of one of the ways that Wizards has tried to combat like team or energy, where... It's printing all these really good cards, but they're very specific and they need to be played with like in a particular tribe. And I think that this is one of those cards where yeah, it's a you get a you get a two two for one, which is strong, but you need to be playing specifically pirates to make that the case. Yep, and as long as there is an aggressive red pirates deck, then this is a great card and and a C, I think. Yeah, I like it. Yep, I like it too. I I want there to be a good like red black deck. Again, the thing that's holding it back is is those lands. So we may be in a world where you actually want to run an enemy colored deck so you have access to Spire Bluff Canal, in which case this card is still pretty good. The, uh, there may right, be like a, right. a red-blue tempo-y one that, that this is good in. Yeah, with like this guy into the 2-1 that attacks and flies and makes your opponent's guy an, an 0-1. Yeah, I could definitely see that being a powerful curve. Yeah. Next card is really sweet. Um, so this is Dire Fleet Daredevil. This is one in a red for a 2-1 first strike. When it enters the battlefield, exile target instant or sorcery card from an opponent's graveyard. You may cast that card this turn, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any type to cast that spell. If the card would be put into a graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So it's a sort of snapcaster mage for your opponent's graveyard. Very interesting. It's a human, so a lot of people have been talking about it in consideration to you know maybe being played in the modern human stack and i think that there are matchups where that it would be very very strong such as against like grixis shadow it has a lot of really good applications where you can 
fatal push their death shadow or yeah you know, or terminate their tasker. visions or terminate their tasker or kind of you know whatever so i think that it's definitely good in that matchup and even you know the the sweet play of uh respond to their snapcaster mage by you know having them target a spell and then viling this guy in and yeah. casting it before they can yeah this uh, guy is great with either vile yeah so definitely a lot of interesting applications for this guy the problem is that you know let's if we like go out and look at a lot of the matchups that we want this card in it's like the best matchups are like the jund style play creatures themselves and removal spells because the cards that the spells that people really want against the humans deck are like spot removal spells right like Mm -hmm. fatal push lightning bolt stuff like that and if that's what their graveyard gets filled up with then you want those cards to be good against your opponent in order to play dire fleet daredevil and there are some decks that where that's the case and you know like fatal push and tarmogoyf and stuff like that where you know stuff like that could be really good um or even just like discard spells you know having this guy thought sees your opponent seems hilarious um, yes that's true but there are also a lot of decks that you might think that you want this guy in where it's just not going to play out as well and those are like the the Jeskai control decks where they are playing a bunch of spot removal spells but they're just not playing any creatures themselves and then you know like the other cards that you might want to copy are like counter spells but you'd have to have an aether vial to make this guy work so right. in those matchups you like you wouldn't want this guy but you know just the fact that he is going to be excellent against like the mid-range creature oriented thought sees fatal push decks might be good enough to have him be a good sideboard card there and those are decks that you've kind of been looking for a, a solution for because they are pretty tough matchups, right? So Grixis Shadow in particular is a good matchup for humans. Okay. I think humans favored there. But something like Jund yeah. or you know Abzan or stuff like that is definitely... It struggles a little bit more in those matchups and, and I could definitely see wanting this guy there for sure. Stealing their lingering souls out of their graveyard is pretty sweet too. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'll have two spirits. Thank yes. you. Yeah, I mean, I am not afraid to give this guy a B. I, I think he's very good. At a minimum, I think she, I think it's a lady in that picture. Um, I think at minimum in standard, this is going to do a lot because there's a lot of creature decks that are running removal spells. And I think having this in your main deck a lot of the time is going to be quite good. Um, even against control decks, like sometimes you'll play this card and cast their glimmer of genius out of their graveyard, and that's good. So I I like this. I, I think it's um, very yeah, playable. Sure. I th- yeah, I think that it it could definitely be a B at least, and maybe even you know C play in in modern as well. So yeah, yep. And, and I think just in standard, whether you're pirates or not. I, especially in the Pirates deck, this could be really great. And plus, it has First Strike, so you're giving it plus one, plus one, and Death Touch while attacking or something. Like, this is a good card. Yeah, you know, 2-1 First Strike. Like, in Standard in particular, if you're if you're just trying to curve out as well, you, you know, you should be yeah. afraid to just slam this guy on turn two. Yeah, definitely. And that that number of options is... That helps it, definitely. So next we've got Itali, Primal Storm. So this is the Red Elder Dinosaur. It's four Red Red for a 6-6. Six, six. Whenever it attacks, exile the top card of each player's library. Then you may cast any number of non-land cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. So before you immediately give this an F, 
because this is a six mana six six that has to attack to do anything. The one situation where this might be good is if you have an Odapec Huntmaster in play, cast this for five mana, immediately attack with it. And that is really sweet. Other than that, I, I don't see this doing anything. If there is a red dinosaur deck, and that could be red green, it could be red white, who knows. If there's a red dinosaur deck that is trying to ramp and cast things ahead of schedule, then yes, I think that this is one of the better payoff cards there. The problem is that that archetype is just not something that we've seen. You know, people right. tried it a lot when dinosaurs first came out, and I think that they'll try it again. So I think that this guy will definitely see play in a lot of iterations of that. But I just don't know. We'll see, we'll see whether or not that archetype can exist and whether or not it's powerful enough. The problem in my mind is that they're pushing so many like aggressive one-drop creatures that I feel like there's going to be a lot of Sly-style decks. And yeah. this ramp strategy is going to struggle against those. So, Right. But what I do like this in is, you know... Teamer is a mid-range deck, and so if the... And the older iterations of the Dinosaur deck really were competing against Teamer on a mid-range axis, which is not what you want to be doing because they're just better at it. If yeah. we get to a place where you're really a ramp deck and you're ramping into things that Teamer cannot negate, that may be a good place to be. And for something like Atali, we do have redundant ways of giving it haste because Registor Alpha gives haste and Odapec Huntmaster gives haste. And that's, I think, what you really need to make this card good. That said, I would be surprised if this is the payoff that ends up making the Dinosaurs deck in standard. Um, so I'm inclined to just give this an F. Um, but it's cool and yeah. possibly an option. Right. Yeah, I'm generally not too overly optimistic with cards like these, so I'd probably generally agree, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. Next up, we've got one of those Sly cards. Uh, we've got Fanatical Firebrand, which is a 1 red mana, 1-1 one, one goblin pirate. It's got haste and tap, sacrifice Fanatical Firebrand to deal 1 damage to target creature or player. So, just another option for a mono red deck or a very aggressive pirate's deck. It's kind of a Mog Fanatic that you can't both attack and sacrifice in the same turn, but makes up for sad. it by having haste. Yes, sad. But, I, you know, this guy could be good enough. Uh, especially if you're a very red deck that just wants one more red goblin one drop. You know, this guy could fit the bill. Um, um, yeah, eight whack in modern. I'm looking at you. You want another uh, hasty one one for one? Because <laughs> uh, we got something. No, um, I, uh, yeah, this guy just feels a little underwhelming to me, though, honestly. Um, yep. Like, he is, like, another decent, hasty 1-1, one, one, but I feel like he's just so far behind Bomat Courier that yep. he's probably just not going to be able to find a slot there. Yep. I think you need Unless to Unless you want... really, really want pirate synergies. Exactly. You know. Um, and one cool thing with it is, in combination with the Death Touch granting... 2-2 flash guy um this guy is just terminate so that's pretty nice that's that's okay that's fun i, I like that and, and that may be enough to push it into a card that you want in that exact deck but i think that you know even if all those you know things come together that still puts this card at a d right 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 for sure but you know agreed it's a one drop to consider yeah. This next card is way sweeter. This is Rekindling Phoenix. Uh, two red red, four three flying. When Rekindling Phoenix dies, create a zero one red elemental creature token with, at the beginning of your upkeep, 
Sacrifice this creature and return target card named Rekindling Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste until end of turn. So basically when this guy dies, if they don't have a removal spell, it comes back on your upkeep with haste. Which is pretty good, I think. Right, yeah. So that's, it's this weird thing where if somebody wants to kill it, they kind of have to kill it twice. So they have to kill the Rekindling Phoenix and then they'd have to kill the Elemental Creature Token in order to get this guy gone for good. So that's generally a pretty powerful effect. And, you know, the 4-3 flyer for 4 isn't a terrible body. I, 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 I kind of like it. I think that this card might see some play in some some red aggressive shells. Yeah, and, like, the haste granting is really cool because a play pattern with this is if you play it and they have a guy that could trade with it, they can't... Unless they have a removal spell, they can't really attack into it because then you just get the phoenix back and can attack with it immediately. So that's pretty powerful. This also stacks up like reasonably well against Glorybringer because if you've got this guy yeah. and then they cast their Glorybringer and kill it, then you're racing a Glorybringer, but you're faster at it because you didn't like exert that first turn. And if they don't exert, then obviously you can block with your phoenix, which is terrible for them. So I, I kind of like this guy a, a pretty reasonable amount. For four mana, I think it does a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, it, it, you know, you, you can't really afford to exert on this at all with the Glorybringer because it's just going to attack you the next turn if you do that. Right. And then you've and, exerted your Glorybringer. Right. Um, and, and if they were already nothing. putting pressure on you, then you're, you're taking a lot of damage really fast. Right. Um, and then your other option is to attack and not exert, and then they can block your Glorybringer and then get this guy back and attack you anyways so yeah so that's terrible like lines up really really poorly against this guy right like the play pattern is probably like play your glory bringer don't attack untap so then you can exert on the phoenix and then you know kill the elemental with a removal spell which is you know really really hamstringing your glory bringer compared to what it should be what what you put it in your deck to do so right right so I like this um, guy. I, I think this is a, yeah, a good card so for standard. I, I agree. I think that it's uh, it's going to be seeing a lot of play in standard and kind of whatever red deck it sees playing. So I think that this is probably going to be a B. Yeah, I like B. All right, next one, much narrower than that guy. This is Shake the Foundations. This is two and a red for an instant. It deals one damage to each creature without flying and draw a card. I think... It's just a straight-up D. If you want to kill 1-1 one, one tokens, this is a fine way to do it, and you get your card back when you do it. Yeah, I agree. Um, if there are decks that are just like a pile of X1s, this is an excellent sideboard card against that deck. Otherwise, not something that you ever want to see. Yep, but it's perfect at doing that. You get your card back. It's instant speed, so you can like do it at the end of their turn, and they didn't really get to rebuild. So, I, you know, it's great for what it does. All right, and I'm kind of excited about this next one, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I I originally didn't put it in here, but then I saw some discussion about it and, and rethought, and I think this card might be really powerful. Uh, so this is Tillinali's Summoner, one in a red for a 1-1 one, one Human Shaman. It has Ascend. Whenever it attacks, you may pay X and a red. If you do, create X 1-1 one, one red elemental creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. At the beginning of the next end step, exile those tokens unless you have the city's blessing. Which is a super weird clause, because if you ever trigger this, you get the city's blessing. Because you just put x11 tokens into play. Yeah, I mean, you're not getting the city's blessing on turn 
three, you know, you right. play this guy, so you play to one drop, and then you turn three, you make two guys, and then you've got three lands, two guys, and then two potentially other guys. It's not quite ten permanents. But, right. you know, once you're activating this for, like, four or five or kind of whatever, then, yeah, you're just kind of guaranteed to have the city's blessing. So yeah. then you've, you know, you've used your card to make a bunch of 1-1s that have all, like, immediately attacked and aren't going away. So yeah. I think this guy's pretty powerful, honestly. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what Shell uses it. This is a very weird card. You know, super vulnerable to removal, but again, but it only costs yeah. two mana, so that's not the worst thing in the world. If everybody's playing two mana removal, then that's not terrible for you. I don't know. Interesting card. I don't see a ton of ways to, like, exploit having those tokens. You know, there aren't a lot of ways to give them a bunch of extra power or anything like that. But, you know, on a pretty compact package, two mana creature, this just gives you the ability to make a bunch of guys. And if this thing ever attacks twice, that's so much value off of a two drop, so. Yeah. Yeah, if this card ever attacks twice, I think that game is just gonna end. Yeah, um, but very unlikely to pull that off, but yeah. Fair, yeah. But uh, this guy seems like a nightmare for any sort of control deck that is playing like mostly counter spells and sweepers, because like if, if you know if you don't have the spot removal spell for this guy, and mm -hmm. you know you're on the draw and they like slam this on turn two, yeah. And they activate it and they activate it again, and you just yeah. like have a bunch of counter spells in your hand. That's pretty rough for you. That's true, uh, and that's a super basic use of it. Yeah, imagine having to settle these things. Like, <laughs> good lord. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff coming on. So yeah, I like this guy. I think this is probably a C. Like even just for that use case alone of being a super awesome standalone threat against that those kinds of control decks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like this guy a lot, and I I kind of don't really know exactly how powerful it is, but it seems strong. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool role player. All right, so uh, that's it for red. Yep. Uh, now we're moving on to green. And in green, we're going to start off with Deep Root Elite. So this is one of the merfolk that people have been talking about. It's a two-mana 1-1, one, one, merfolk warrior. Whenever another merfolk enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target merfolk you control. So he's kind of like a pseudo-lord effect where mm -hmm. after you've cast this guy, every other merfolk that you cast comes into play with an additional plus one plus one counter but it doesn't you, you get a little more flexibility than that you don't have to put it on the guy that you cast you can kind of put it anywhere so you can yeah. make your deep root elite really big and attack with it or you can you know distribute yeah, just, the counters elsewhere whatever makes their blocks the most awkward which i think makes this a better card than metallic mimic yeah yeah so i i do like this card and i think that it goes along really well with the strategy of kind of like being a little more one drop oriented in your merfolk deck right if you like follow if this playing... up with two merfolk that's pretty solid yeah so like so turn two deep root elite into turn three uh, like an, a lord and a you know another one drop merfolk then you know all of a sudden now we're talking now we've got a lot of power on the board on turn three right and those plus one plus one counters have haste as long as you have guys that can attack to put them on whether that's deep root elite or the guy you played on turn one so that's very powerful yeah so yeah honestly i i, I like this guy a lot i think that uh there is a merfolk archetype that utilizes him very well and you know putting plus one plus one counters on your one mana one one unblockable guy is is big game yeah so pretty easy c i think good card 
Yeah, I like it. Uh, next up, we've got Enter the Unknown. So this is a one-mana sorcery for a single green. Target creature you control explores, and you may play an additional land this turn. So you explore, and then you explore. Yeah, like, you explore, and then you explore. Two explores. The uh, <laughs> This card, I don't know. In Constructed, I'm just kind of not terribly sold on it. I just don't know any... So it just requires a little too too much to be able to cast it. You have to have a creature in play, so you can't yep. like cast it on turn one or anything. So you're casting this later in the game, and uh, in theory, it's gonna kind of like pay for itself mana wise. So you're essentially having you know like a creature you control explore and then ramping. But I don't. I just it's so difficult for me to understand play patterns involving this card that it's right. I it's don't see kind of hard to evaluate. And my and then instinct... what a disaster if they have fatal push or magma spray for the guy you're targeting with this card. Oh geez, yeah, for sure. Any sort of removal spell in response to this card is is going to be really brutal. My instincts tell me that this is just an F. Yeah, I don't. I I mean, there's been enough talk about this card that I think it's appropriate to talk about it. But I don't. Yeah, that the worst case is so bad, and I don't. I can't picture the best case, so I don't have any idea what that is. Um, yeah. And I think that that makes this not a playable card. And it's just kind of also like card disadvantage a little bit, you know. If you draw a right. land, then sure, it's you know it's kind of like the same, but I don't know. But yeah, I mean, if you draw a land, then it's basic. It is like an awkward rampant growth that you had to have a creature in play to to cast. But it's just so like you need your rampant growth to always be a rampant growth. You can't have it sometimes not really the one. Yeah, I don't. I think there's just too much variance in this card. You gotta have a creature, you gotta have a land to play. Yeah, it, it's not what I want to be casting. Yeah. Next up, we've got the green elder dinosaur. Galta, Primal Hunger. It is a 12 mana, 12-12. <laughs> Holy cow. So 10 and double green. But it does have a cost reducer effect. It yes. uh, Galta, Primal Hunter, cost X less to cast where X is the total power of creatures you control, and it's got Trample. Uh-huh, um, great. <laughs> so 12-minute Trample, or 12, 12 Trample, I guess I should say. Pretty big, pretty strong. This might be one of the only cards that you can look at and be like, it might kind of be hard to harness lightning this guy. <laughs> You'd have to have nine energy in your reserve to be able to 12, to be able to harness lightning against this guy. So, yep. you know, that's cool. There are powerful curves that exist that make me think that this guy could potentially work in some, like, dinosaur ramp shells. Like, for example, turn two, you play the two-mana human that gets plus two, plus two if you have a dinosaur and taps for any color mana. So, and then turn three, you play a four power four mana dinosaur mm -hmm. then you've got seven mana on the board or seven power on the board i should say next turn in theory you've got five mana if you make your land drop and you can cast this guy on turn four and that's with no interaction from your opponent is what you're hoping for. right but that's asking a lot so to me this guy uh, he just feels really win more you can only really feasibly cast him either in the super super late game or when you already have a decent board presence so i don't know for constructed i'm, I'm not sold my doubts are too much stronger than my like aspirations for this card and i think yeah. it 
it doesn't get there probably i it would be lovely if it did i would love to have that be a deck but i i think this ends up being an f for me yeah i agree so next up we've got jade bearer so this is another one of those one drop merfolk that i think i like and could definitely see play in in a merfolk shell so this guy is a green one one for one when Jade Bear enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on another target Merfolk you control. Mm-hmm. So the downside is that, you know, generally you want your one drops to be good on turn one. But this guy really doesn't fit as well there. He's just going to be a one mana, one, one Merfolk on turn one. But if we're looking for Merfolk that are good when you fit them in on the curve later on, so say you play one drop into one drop one drop this could be one of the excellent one drops to play in turn two um or if you go like turn three two drop and one drop this is another excellent merfolk to have there so honestly i i like this card because it fits well in the theme of just like you know playing a bunch of efficiently costed creatures later it also works really well with kamena where you get to the point in the game where you're tapping all of your merfolk to draw cards you want to be able to dump your hand as efficiently as possible, and because mm-hmm. this guy's a one-drop, you can just do that. Yep. Um, I, I can even see scenarios where you skip your one-drop even though you've got Jade Bearer in hand, and you turn two, cast Deep Root Elite, and then turn three, you cast a two-mana Merfolk, and then Jade Bearer, and you attack with a 4-4 four, four Deep Root Elite, and that's not bad. Yeah, Definitely. Um, so you just kind of have to be smart about your sequencing on on your creatures because you need to you know make sure that you're optimizing all of your cards and making sure that you can get the you know the most power out of them. I, yeah, I like this guy. I think that he's I think that he's potentially good in uh, in a dedicated Merfolk. Right, whichever drop. build of Merfolk really wants Agro those one drops. Shell. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where I stand on that guy. Yep, yep. I would say that he's a C. If 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 he end up if he end up working in the uh, in the Merfolk shell, right, somewhere between a C and a D, I think. Um, but yeah, could be just a very great way to be efficient. Like one of the ways you beat Teamer is by having your spells be really efficient, so they can't just keep trading one for one with them. Um, and this guy definitely fits the bill for that by spreading power around, costing one mana. I I, I like this guy a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then next up, we've got Jade Light Ranger. So this is another Merfolk that has gotten a lot of discussion recently. So it's a three mana, two one, one green green. When Jade Light Ranger enters the battlefield, it explores, then it explores again. So double explorer, two explorers, theme of the set. Um, uh, This guy is fine, I think. I just, a lot of other people are like pretty excited about this guy, but to me... He's just not that impressive for some reason in a constructed setting. I just don't hmm. know if he does what your three mana creatures want to be doing right now. He's either a two one for three that drew you two lands, which is fine, even even pretty good, uh, or he's a three two that drew you a land and scried one, which is also pretty good, and the, or he's just a a four three that scried twice. So these are all, like, fine options. He's not a bad card by any stretch. But for some reason, I'm just feeling a little underwhelmed by all that. I think that if you're playing in a deck that is really value-oriented, so um, this guy kind of might even break away from the Merfolk synergy in particular, and he could just be, like, 
a value three drop that's played in green decks. I could mm-hmm. see that for sure being the case where he's just like he becomes like a a B and an all star in kind of any green deck where he's just like good. I could definitely see that being the case, but you know, in in the syner- in the more synergy oriented decks that I'm trying to work with right now, he just hasn't really fit in as well there. Yeah, I and this is one of the I, maybe the first times that I'm going to disagree with you, and I don't think that we're that far apart on the card because you're not you're certainly not saying it's unplayable or anything. But I'm definitely one of the people that's pretty excited about this. I think there's just too many spots where uh, it's actively good. Like it it compares. It's very similar to Rogue Refiner in some of its use cases. It's a three mana three two that draws you a card when it comes into play. It is a relevant creature type and sort of, you know. We're talking about Merfolk uh, wanting those one-drops, and I think part of that is that we really want cards that work well with Kumena, but you're not always going to have a Kumena, and so having a couple of these card advantage Merfolk, Jade Light Ranger, Silver Girl Adept, and maybe Merfolk Branchwalker, you know, that gives you that redundancy and ability to cycle through your deck and get to your Kumena or whatever is most important at the time. And this guy also just works very, very well with Winding Constrictor, which is pretty cool. This could be a 6-5 on turn 3, although I don't know that Winding Constrictor is where I'm going to want to be in the upcoming format. But I think there's just too many things going on here, including... Uh, And I'll talk about this a little more when we get to the gold cards and the green-black gold card in particular. Um, But there may just be like a very sweet rock deck that this guy is very good in uh, that I'm, you know, kind of excited to try out. Uh, And I think there's just too many potential avenues for this card to be great. Uh, I am honestly ready to give this thing a B because I think we're probably going to be seeing this pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, I certainly accept that I could be very wrong and whatever reason my instincts are telling me that this isn't very good or just completely off kilter and it just happens to be, you know, the next best three drop creature. Um, Yeah, and it it also might not be. I I totally get that instinctual feeling and, and you might just be... Right. Like, it, you know, we've never had a thing that makes you explore twice. And maybe that's just very awkward because the decisions you have to make with that, like, scrying are are hamstrung by the fact that you've got another explore coming up. And I, I don't know until I play with it. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where what, what, where people go with this guy. I, I like, looking at it and trying to, trying to logically parse out his play patterns, it does feel strong. It does. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it just feels like he's not really... He's not quite there. Um, sure. And maybe maybe I'm just kind of like leading myself astray with that. But, you know, I got I mean, to trust my instincts to a certain extent. Yeah. Instincts are real. Intuition is a thing. So could easily yeah. be right. So I don't know. M- moving on, we've got Jungleborn Pioneer. This guy is a three mana, two, two merfolk. And when he enters the battlefield, you create a one, one blue merfolk token with hexproof so this guy is just kind of like the stereotypical two for one package he's a he's a three mana two two and he gives you a one mana one one and generally that's like definitely really good and limited but when constructed you kind of need something else going on to make it good for sure but the thing is we do have other things going on that make this guy good in the merfolk synergies uh, yep. Just, you know, the straight up two mana Lord that we're going to talk about later is good with this guy because then all of a sudden this guy's five power. And then there's also the the other two mana Deep Root Elite that we talked about already that also makes this guy five power. 
uh, definitely something to consider when you know if you're if you're if you end up playing the deeper elite and the and the lord and other stuff like that. Not to mention the fact that this guy additionally synergizes pretty well with Kumena, where it's two Merfolk bodies for one that you right. get to tap alongside Kumena to draw a card. And in a more aggressive Merfolk deck, you know this double triggers your River Sneak if that's a thing that you care about at all. I think this just like does a surprising number of things for a, a card that's pretty clearly designed for limited it also is you know has a lot of potential implications and constructed yeah so right so as 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 like low impact that this guy might look on paper i think that behind the scenes he's got a lot of stuff going for him with this energy yep also and this is crazy town but hear me out this i think has potential in modern in a very specific merfolk build i think if you end up in a merfolk build that wants collected company, this is a three that's really good to hit off of, and you know, collected company biases you towards threes. Um, and yeah. this is the kind of value that you really want there. Um, if you hit this and a lord, you get a three three, a two two, and a lord. And you know, this card is just so good. If your deck is so all lords and merfolk, this may be one of the merfolk you want a couple of copies of because it's really good when you have two or more lords in play. Definitely an interesting card with a, a lot of possible implications. Yeah, I completely agree. Modern might be a little more of a stretch, but definitely, um, I, I, I definitely see what you're saying with the uh, with the collected company hits for sure. I, I think that's the only time when when this would be a consideration is if you know collected company becomes the way to go. Um, but this is pretty sweet with that card. Yeah. All right. So next up, we've got Knight of the Stampede. So this guy is a four mana two four. And it says dinosaur spells you cost you cast cost two less to cast. Dinosaur spells you cast cost two less to cast. Um, it's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I just I think that this guy is yeah. too expensive on his own to agree be competitive and constructed. Unfortunately, four yep. mana for this effect is is just a little too much. And of course, the you know usual refrain: he dies to Glorybringer immediately uh right and that's not yeah. not great yeah so so this i this is i think just an f for me unfortunately it, it it does look like a powerful effect you know reducing your dinosaur spells by two is you know pretty sweet but i don't know uh i, I don't think he makes the cut here yeah i don't think so either i i put him on here just because some people have been talking about these magical christmas land curves of the new rampant growth into this guy into dinosaurs and I think that's just too difficult to make work. Uh, and I don't think this is the type of card that we want in those decks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if we are curving into this guy with our, like, two mana ramp spells, you know, maybe we're starting to get somewhere. But I don't know. I'm struggling to see it. Be yeah, I think you mostly great. want to start casting real things immediately off of your ramp spells and not just another ramp spell. Right. Four, four mana plus two is kind of like where where you want to be. You know, that's, you know, explosive vegetation territory, which is pretty good. But the problem with yep. this guy is that he's like a body that could die, and then that's just kind of problematic. So Right. Although, um, if you are casting multiple dinosaurs in one turn, he can really be <laughs> ramping you hard. That's true. That's true. Just the, the straight up, you know, discount to dinosaurs makes, you know, playing a bunch of dinosaurs pretty, pretty good. So, you know. Yeah. People will definitely try it, and um, right. it, it'll it'll be sweet if it works. But yeah, I'm skeptical. But I'm not afraid to give this an F right now, and then I'm yeah. not. All, I'm also not afraid to be wrong on that in the future if it turns out to be okay. For sure, for sure. Next up, we've got a friendly face. 
Uh, <laughs> naturalize. One in a green. Uh, destroy target artifact or enchantment instant. Yep. Just gonna uh, replace... Just straight uh, up naturalize. Yep. Just definitely better than uh, the two in a green gain two life version that's in sideboard sometimes. Um, solid D. Yeah. Just an excellent sideboard card for sure. Yep. Next up we've got Swift Warden. So this is an interesting card. So it's a, it's a Merfolk. It's a three mana for a 3-3 three, three flash. One green green. Uh, when Swift Warden enters the battlefield, target Merfolk you control gains Hexproof until end of turn. This card seems really, really strong against any sort of control deck. It Not only on its own is it a flash threat, three mana, three, three, that you can, you know, pass the turn on turn three and your opponent cries a little bit because they've got counter spells in hand. Um, <laughs> and then, like, instep throw this guy in. But also, if they're trying to use spot removal to kill your guys, then this is just an excellent trick to flash it in, get another body, and protect the body that they're trying to kill. Just the tempo swing on that is so insane. Right. Um, if that works, good lord. Yeah. So it it it's just like, you know, two for one in your opponent all the time when they're trying to kill your guys. I, I like this card a lot. I think that it's going to be very, very good in Merfolk. I think that people could potentially start playing it in the sideboard of modern Merfolk as well. I think that it's that strong. You know, definitely, definitely could see potential play in, in, in standard as the sideboard card as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to put it in the sideboard category, but I think it's very strong. So write right. that how you will. Yeah, and it's it has a cool benefit of being a sideboard card that is quite good on the draw against control, which is, you know, a rare thing. And I think that that really makes me like this quite a bit in those Merfolk decks. Because, like, if they're on the play and they're holding up, like, counterspell mana on turn three, and then, yeah, you pass the turn, whoo boy, that's that's really good. Right. Yeah, so uh, this is just kind of where I'm at with that guy. Next up, we've got another potentially very interesting card. Thunderhead Migration. Thunder, oh, sorry, Thunderherd Migration. <laughs> um, two mana sorcery as an additional cost to cast Thunderherd Migration... Reveal a dinosaur card from your hand or pay one. So this is either going to be two mana or three mana if you don't have a dinosaur in your hand. And then it's just a, a, a rampant growth style card. Uh, search your library for a basic land card. Put it on the battlefield tap to shuffle your library. Yeah, I think that this card is going to be one of the cards that makes dinosaurs work if there is going to be a dinosaur stack. Um, I think that they're giving us just enough dinosaur ramp cards to make that potentially viable which is pretty good and i think that it was a significant weakness and would have continued to be a significant weakness if all of the ramping you're doing on turn two is vulnerable to a braid and harness lightning yeah um, yeah because one of the reasons you play a ramp well, deck is so that those things are not great against you and having an actual rampant growth as part of your acceleration package i think is really important to making it a good deck agreed yeah so, um, so I like this card. I, uh, I think that, you know, it's going to fit, but it, it really only is going to be working in the dinosaur deck specifically. Yep. So that would make it a C if anything. So, you know, if, if the dinosaur archetype that is like a rampy shell exists, then this will be one of the best cards in it, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I think that if dinosaurs is good while Kaladesh is still in standard. It's going to be because it gets pretty big and goes over the top of the teamer decks and doesn't try to fight them on the like four and five mana axis, but it casts like actual six mana, seven mana spells 
um, that right. can't be negated. And I, I think this is part of the package that gets you there if it is a deck. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, all right, next up we've got one that's kind of been talked about a little bit. This is Tender Shoot Dryad. This is the five mana 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, four and a green for a 2-2. Two, two. It's got a send. Uh, it says, at the beginning of each upkeep, create a 1-1 one, one green sapperling creature token. And if you have the city's blessing, then your sapperlings get plus two, plus two. I think that this is too expensive and not high enough impact and think that this is just never going to see any play. So for me, this is an F. Uh, yep. It's a 2-2 two, two for five mana, and it only gives you additional value at you know at the beginning of an upkeep. Uh, it is each upkeep, which is a pretty... It's much better than at the beginning of your upkeep. So he yes, doesn't have to like, survive better. for his turn cycle. So he's, he's going to pump out two 1-1 Sapperlings per turn cycle, which is like fine. But I don't know. I just I just fail to see this card being too high-picked. The, the, the body itself is too vulnerable to removal spells. So, you know, spending five mana to play this guy, and then you pass the turn hoping to get a 1-1 on your opponent's upkeep, and they just, like, magma spray it and move on with their life. <laughs> that, that game's just over, right? So. Right. And I think this is, and you know, of course, super vulnerable to Glorybringer once again. I, I think this is exactly the kind of card that uh, Patrick Sullivan was talking about that is just not, that is really held back by the way that, you know, like the standard format plays out now, is this is a Baneslayer Angel. You know, this will give you the city's blessing on its own in, like, you know a turn cycle and a half it it threatens to overwhelm the board completely on its own but it's got to survive a little while and that's that means that it's a very high variance card maybe not even a high variance card maybe it just survives so few so low of a percentage of the time when you cast it that it's just straight up terrible all the time but i i prefer to at least think that there's a world where you know, some small, some percentage of the time this would survive and it has the capability of taking over. I, I think you're right. right. I think it's unlikely to get there very often. And just the world that we live in is a world of Harness Lightnings and Glorybringers and Abrades and Ravenous Chupacabras. And this is just something you cannot invest five mana in. But the power is there. So if it sticks around just a couple of turns, the board becomes completely untenable for your opponent. And that may be worth, you know, if you can fit it into a deck that somehow already wants Blossoming Defense, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, but then at that point, you're, you know, you're ready for six mana. Six mana, yep. You play this guy and keep up a green. And, right. And Blossoming Defense doesn't work well in decks with ramp spells. So I, I think you're probably right. It is an F, but there's a lot of power packed into this card. So. Yeah. In exactly the right situations, exactly the right sideboard spots, it's something to consider. But yeah, probably yeah. an F. Yeah, so next up we've got Wayward Swordtooth. So this is another card that's been talked about a lot. It's a 3-mana 5-5. Five, five. Two and a green. 5-5 five, five dinosaur. It's got a send. It says you may play an additional land on each of your turns. It also says it can't attack or block unless you have the city's blessing. So you can kind of think of it as like an enchantment a little bit that allows you to play an additional land on each of your turns, which is powerful, I think, in a lot of, in in some archetypes. And then once you've gotten up to the city's blessing, then all of a sudden you've got a 5-5. So this card is interesting. Yeah. 
it's definitely interesting. Very good with Galta Primal Hunger, because it helps you ramp to it and gives you five towards a five reduction of its mana cost. But yeah. unfortunately, you know, that's really not a thing that I'm excited to be trying to do <laughs> quite yet in standard. Right, right, right. Um, I think that if there is a dinosaur ramp deck, this card will see play in that deck. I think that, you do. Um, okay, that's just kind of a given. But the problem is, you, it, when you have cards that say you may play an additional land on each of your turns, if you're ever running out of lands in your hand, then yeah, all of a sudden that card nothing. just does nothing. So you really need to have like a some other way of having access to a lot of lands to play and you know in modern we've seen that out of like you know crucible style effects there's like ram and excavator and stuff which isn't standard by the way just to you to make sure that you have access to lands that you can play to really utilize that you know of course of crucifix style effects is another way to do it just like you know being able to play lands off the top of your library so you never really run out of gas that way so, but in standard i'm a little concerned about this right just getting the lands to play yeah i mean with ramunav excavator we've got evolving wilds and um the tectonic edge kind of land the the ghost quartery land but i think that that's that's a really tough like Too long narrow. game thing to pull off as much as i would love this card to be a thing i i don't really see it working out anywhere i think it just asks too much and is too difficult to be a consistent anything and since Todd Stevens has said that it's just worse than Azusa in Value Town and Modern, and I'm inclined to defer to Todd Stevens when making those sorts of evaluations. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really see a place for it anywhere yet. You know, I've thought about this a lot. I really like the design. I think it's cool. But unfortunately, right now, I would give it an F. Yeah, um, that's fair. I, I, I can see that. I, I kind of have high hopes for it, but I, mm -hmm. I agree that it's likely not, not really going to work out too well. Um, yep. So, hey, this guy does we'll survive Glorybringer though. So, uh, he, yeah, it, it passes your Glorybringer check. So that's passes that's good. the Glorybringer test. We finally got one. So next up, we've got World Shaper. So this is a kind of an oddball card here. So it's a Merfolk. It's three and a green for a three three. So four mana three three. Whenever World Shaper attacks, you may put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. So it's kind of going on this weird mill theme. And then when World Shaper dies, put all land cards from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Tapped. So, what a strange card. <laughs> right? We already have um, this in sorcery form. Splendid Reclamation is a card that people have tried to make work a lot it in never modern. Has. People have tried it kind of like in this like weird mm, self-mill dredge Valkut deck. People mm -hmm. have tried it in... Standard as like a super duper ramp spell after you mill yourself a bunch, but I don't know. World Shaper to me feels a little too cute. I can't really imagine any play patterns that make this guy strong. Yep. And for those reasons, I'm out. Yep. Me I too. Give it enough. Nope. Just too tough to make work. I'm I'm not gonna try. Yeah. All right, and that actually completes our green. Uh, yeah. Review. And so now we're on to the very exciting multicolored section. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, these cards are cool. So we'll start out with one that we talked about a little bit last episode, and that's Angrath the Flame Chained. Uh, three black, red, five mana planeswalker. He starts out with four loyalty. Plus one, each opponent discards a card and loses two life. Minus three, 
Gain control of target creature until end of turn, untap it, it gains haste until end of turn, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step if it has converted mana cost 3 or less, and minus 8. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of cards in his or her graveyard. Uh, yep. Yep. I really don't like this Planeswalker. Agree. That's just my initial reaction, I guess. I think um, you gotta be, to want this card, you've gotta be black-red. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to want a five mana something that cares about doing some amount of grinding. Um, but also you want the, to be pressuring their life total. If you want all of those things, this guy is your man. Um, and I think he's pretty good at that point. But I am having trouble, you know, maybe the Black Red Pirates deck wants to top out at doing something like this. Um I, I don't think that that is the case. Yeah, so, like, I'm trying to envision a world in which this guy's good, and, and I think you're right. And You've got this black-red, like, pirate's aggressive deck, and you don't mind a threaten effect, and you play it, and you steal your opponent's some, something. <laughs> I don't know. Long, long Tusk Cub. 6-6 six, six Long Tusk Cub, ideally. Sure, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. That would be really good. Is it convert yeah. a mana cost three or less? Okay, yeah, sure. perfect. So yeah, you steal their long test cub. You attack your opponent for a bunch, and then it dies. And they're on the back foot, so they can't really afford to attack back and kill your guy. So okay, sure. You know, there's a scenario where this card's pretty pretty good. But I don't know. It's it's another one of those cards that, like threaten effects are only really good when you're already beating down, and they're good at closing out the game when you are doing that. So there are some aggressive decks that i will play threaten effects in but i don't know it just feels like we're asking too much of the game state to make this card good yeah um, so for me too narrow i think so i'm not quite prepared to give this guy a straight up f because he is pretty good against control decks i, I think most of the time you would just rather have chandra because she costs a mana less even if her plus one is slightly less effective against the control decks um because you either get you know, up a card or you get the two damage and this guy gets a card and gets two damage. So, you know, for that reason, I would give this guy a D because if I'm, you know, approach, I don't want to see this guy in play against me. But, you know, approach has cast out the the black control decks have Raska's Contempt and uh, yeah, so I, I would probably just rather have Chandra most of the time. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can see it being a D, like cyber adoption against control decks. It just says like some permanent threat that they are gonna have to counter or they're probably gonna lose right um, but i would be unsurprised if this guy saw no play whatsoever yeah for sure so next we've got azor the lawbringer which has gotten yeah. a fair amount of hype two white white blue blue for a six six flying a legendary creature sphinx when azor the lawbringer enters the battlefield each opponent can't cast instant or sorcery spells during that player's next turn Whenever Azar attacks, you may pay X, a white, and two blue. If you do, you gain X life and draw X cards. So he literally casts Sphinx's Revelation when he attacks. Yeah, so that's fun. Yeah. I, for, since this is a constructed set review, this is, the power level of this card is very strong. Yes. But it falls under the Baneslayer style where... He will take over the game, and you will win if he goes unchecked. But if you're ever spending six mana and your opponent kills it with kind of whatever they're doing, you know, it's uh, it's pretty tough. 
to to make this like you know powerful and work right and he does protect himself a little bit with that you know stopping your opponent from casting right. some of sorceries on their turn but you know we're also in a format where i think ravenous chupacabra is going to see a lot of play and how miserable is that yeah for sure yeah so like he's still gonna die to any you know instant speed removal that your opponent's left up on the turn that you're casting it so maybe you just don't cast it on a turn where your opponent has mana up yeah but i don't know that feels a little too restrictive maybe this sees play in some sort of control deck as a finisher but we already have torrential gear hulk in play so maybe this card is just gonna be something that is more relevant after kaladesh rotates out as like a control finisher that's possible if we're if we just don't have access to another you know creature in that spot and this then becomes by default the the thing you can be doing there that may be what you want but yeah i'm not super enthused about this guy right now it is very powerful if you do untap with it and can attack and you know pay a bunch of mana but even then you are kind of leaving yourself in a vulnerable position because maybe you gained four or five life but now you're tapped out and your big creature is also tapped and if you know if they're beating you down that's not a super great option at that point right yeah so yeah uh i don't know i'm i'm not terribly impressed with this card like it you know it's very flashy and it definitely hits a lot of check boxes on um cool card yeah. that's gonna have some huge impact or whatever i don't know i i'm just not i'm kind of i don't think that it's gonna be too good yeah, so probably a, a, a D. There's too much there to just give it a straight-up F, but I'm not really seeing it right now. Sure. So next we've got Alenda the Dusk Rose. Two, a white and a black for a 1-1 legendary creature vampire knight. It's got lifelink. Whenever another creature dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on Alenda the Dusk Rose. When Alenda dies, create X-1-1 white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is Alenda's power. Um, as we said last time, I don't I don't really love this card. Yeah, I think, it, I think that this card is just missing, like, a sack outlet on it or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if that was the case, then this card could be potentially good and playable and constructed. But since that's not the case, and it needs, like, something else to make it good, I, I think that it's just too weak. Yeah, and I think, you know, a card like this, you on reading it, it's like, oh, that's a pretty good defense against a Wrath effect. But if you're playing against a control deck with Wraths, this requires them to, like, remove a couple of your creatures first, and then you still have enough creatures that they want to Wrath you, and then you get a couple of Vampires. There are two things that keep me from just dismissing this card completely, and there are specific other cards that you might want to play with it. Number one is that this is quite good with Anthems, whether it's the Black-White Vampire Lord or the White Anthem that has Ascend, uh, because Anthems both pump her power, so you get an extra token, and then they pump the tokens once they come out, so that's pretty cool, just sort of doubling up on the effectiveness of your Anthems. The other thing is that Yeheni, Undying Partisan, goes pretty well with her because he gives you a sack outlet, which is clearly... You know, sacrifice creatures to put counters on her, sacrifice her to put out the creatures. You know, if your opponent's plan is to fumigate you, if you have both Yeheni and Alenda and creatures, which is probably too much to ask, then, you know, their wrath does very little because Yeheni gets indestructible and then you get a bunch of uh, tokens. But Yeheni is a vampire, so that could possibly be a thing that comes up enough to make her worth playing, you know, one or two copies of in your grindy black-white vampire deck. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see those things happening for sure, but I don't know. But very narrow. It, it's, I think it's just asking too much of this card. I think so too. And it's four mana. That's so much yeah. mana for this. Right. So I'm off it. Yep. Me too. But I, I think I would personally give it an F. Yeah, I'm pretty close to that. I, I think I can go ahead and accept F on that. Even There's some possibility for play, but not super likely. Next one I'm much more excited about. So this is Hadana's yeah. Climb. Yeah. This is, so all of the flip cards in this set are enemy colored enchantments that turn into lands. I, I think there's one or two artifacts, but the main ones here are these enemy colored enchantments that turn into lands. And I, they all made this list because they're all sweet regardless of whether or not they're good. This one is Hadana's Climb, which is one, a green and a blue for a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Then if that creature has three or more plus one plus one counters on it, transform Hadana's Climb. And then it transforms into Winged Temple of Arazka, which is a legendary land that has tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool, and it has one, a green, and a blue. Tap, target creature you control gains flying and gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is its power. I think this card is, is very good. I agree. I think that this can probably fit into like a merfolk aggressive shell pretty well mm -hmm. um yeah merfolk has a lot of plus one plus one merfolk has already. A, yeah and that, i think that makes this card just even better right where like say you've got a dude with two counters on it then you know your opponent taps out so you can play this card put the third counter on something flip it and then all of a sudden you've got you know this uber pump spell that can you know really close out the game pretty quickly uh, I like it. I think that it, it, it does a lot for you on, you know, making your creatures bigger and give you almost kind of like a pseudo win con. Yeah, the way, the the place where I see this being most powerful is either um, in teamer, if you need to be more aggressive, if you're trying to end the game with your guys very quickly, or in pummeler as basically additional copies of pummeler. Because when you're at like 15 life and your opponent has a bristling hydra in play, that's not enough for you to think, ugh, I could die on his next attack step. With this thing, right. though, you take that Bristling Hydra, you activate it twice, you play your Hadana's Climb, go to combat, put a plus one plus one counter on this, flip it, pay three mana and tap it, and all of a sudden you're attacking for 14 with a hexproof flying uh, Bristling Hydra. Right. That's, that's a lot of damage. So it's kind of extra copies of Pummeler... And it, it works really well with both Bristling Hydra and Longtusk Cub. So yeah. I, I I would be surprised if this card doesn't see quite a bit of play in a few different decks. Yeah, I think that you make an excellent point in Pummeler, and it kind of synergizes with everything in the Pummeler deck pretty well. So yeah. I, I think this is a solid C. I think it's going to be in a few different decks and, and doing the same thing every time, but that's a powerful right. thing. Agreed. Next we got our other Planeswalker, Huatli, Radiant Champion. Two, a green, a white. For a Planeswalker with three loyalty. Plus one, put a loyalty counter on Huatli, Radiant Champion for each creature you control. Minus one, target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. And minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. So, like we said last time, I think there is one place where this card fits which is in a very tokeny deck that can she can plus one and basically hit her ultimate 
and then on your next turn, you ultimate, and then you have access to lots of cards, because for every SRAM's Expertise or Servo Exhibition or whatever you cast, you just chain through your deck. I don't see her in basically any other deck. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, and just another Planeswalker that I was a little underwhelmed by in this set. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do understand that there is definitely a uh, and a, a specific archetype that makes Whitley pretty good. We'll see. We'll see if that that archetype ends up, you know, working out. If there's like a green white token Z deck or whatever. And I think there is potential there. And we've seen tokens in the past be a pretty powerful strategy, the way that it matches up against you know decks like Teamer. So this could be a pretty cool thing to do. And there's no way that Teamer wins a game after you've ultimated this Planeswalker. So. <laughs> Right, right, right. Probably not. Yeah, unless they just manage to tempo you out with glory bringers or something. But if you're trying to construct your deck to beat Teamer, then you have that consideration in your mind, and you have answers to glory bringer if you're drawing four cards a turn. So, right, right, right. Of course. This next card, I I really love. At least the design of. So this is Journey to Eternity. Uh, one a black and a green for an aura. It's an enchant creature. When enchanted creature dies. Return it to the battlefield under... Or it's an enchant creature you control. When it dies, return it to the battlefield under your control. Then return Journey to Eternity to the battlefield transformed under your control. So when the creature it's enchanting dies, you get back the creature. And then you get back the land, the other side of this. Which is Atsal, Cave of Eternity. It has tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And three green, black, tap, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So this is just an ultimate grindy card. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're playing some sort of, like, mid-rangey rock deck and you successfully land this on a creature and you flip it and you're not under enough pressure to be worried about dying anytime soon, then it's just going to take over the game pretty quickly, I feel like. Or maybe, I, I guess I shouldn't say pretty quickly, because it's a slow card. You know, you're playing yes. five mana to, to essentially uh, reanimate something. But, but it's, it's powerful. It is. I I like this in standard. It, it, so it, it's a weird card because like the backside of it is more powerful in standard than it is in modern, but it's much easier to get to the backside of it in a format like modern because you actually have like creatures that can sacrifice. I, I read an article where Sam Black was trying to brew with it um, and, you know, like enchanting a voice of resurgence with it and then sacrificing your voice of resurgence. So you get the token, you get your voice back and then you get this land like that's really, really sweet. Or putting it on like a Sakura tribe elder is also really, really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. You don't have as many options like that in standard, but one that I really like actually is Banewit Punisher. Um, which is the two and a black two, two that puts a minus one, minus one counter on a guy. And then you can pay a black and sacrifice it to kill a creature with a minus one, minus one counter. Like that gives you a way possibly to get journey to trigger. And then that's a powerful card to keep bringing back. You just get, you know, terminates over and over again. And so that's pretty cool if you have the mana and the time to do that. So I'm excited to try this card out. I also like it with like the green and black cheap explore guys because those are disposable creatures that you can sort of throw away and then they're powerful guys like they both can fill up your graveyard with guys you want to reanimate and you can uh bring them back for value um so i think there's something there with this card i think there's a lot of avenues you can pursue with it right i i do agree that there's a lot of potential for for making this card really really good um yeah. i like the idea of sakura tribe builder and because that's going to like ramp you towards 
you know, your, your five minute that you're gonna need to activate this thing and, um, and just allows you to, you know, immediately flip it, which is pretty yep. cool. So I like it. Yep. It's, it's kind of slow, kind of expensive, kind of awkward, but even given all that, I still want to give this guy a C. That may be ambitious, but I, I like this card. Right, right. So next up, we've got Kumena, Tyrant of Araska, one green blue, two four, legendary Merfolk Shaman, three activated abilities. Tap another untapped Merfolk you control to make Kumena unblockable until end of turn. Tap three untapped Merfolk you control to draw a card, and tap five untapped Merfolk you control, put a plus one plus one counter on each Merfolk you control. Wow, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that's been said about this card already. I think that it's going to be very powerful in standard Merfolk, yep. um, but I don't expect it to see any play in modern Merfolk. And that is because this card is excellent at winning board stalls. You are going to be drawing a lot of more cards than your opponent and being able to dump things on the board, and then after like two activations of the tap five Merfolk you control, the game should just be over, right? Yeah. Um, so in standard, it's kind of like a game plan in a nutshell, right? You, you're you assembling a lot of creatures on the board, drawing extra cards, getting in some damage every once in a while, and then activate, you know, put put a bunch of plus one, plus one counters on your team, and you might not even need to do that in second part. You could probably just, you know, end the game pretty quickly yep. uh, once you've amassed your board state, right? So yeah. powerful at breaking board cells, but modern doesn't need any help breaking board right. stalls. The whole point of the Merfolk deck is that you don't have board stalls. Yeah, you, uh, you can make all of your dudes unblockable a lot of the time, and, you know, your opponent is might even not have play any creatures in their deck, so uh, <laughs> it's just not something that's going to happen a lot of the time. Um, for sure. Drawing a bunch of extra cards is not on the docket for a plan that modern Merfolk wants to play. Right. You're just trying um, to kill them with five fives. Right. So I think that this card is going to be excellent in standard Merfolk, but I think that this card is going to be not not really going to make it into modern. Right. Yep. I think this is a solid C. I think it's going to be one of the more powerful cards in standard and, and do a lot of work. Next, I'm going to just go ahead and say these both at the same time. So we've got sure. Legion Lieutenant, which is black-white for a 2-2 Vampire Knight. Other Vampires you control get plus one, plus one. And then it's Merfolk Counterpart, Merfolk Mistbinder, Blue-Green for a 2-2 Merfolk Shaman. Other Merfolk you control get plus one, plus one. Yep, so we get, we were given two two mana lords in this set. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is a blue-green merfolk, and one of them is a black-white vampire. They both give other of their tribe uh, plus one, plus one. The Legion Lieutenant is definitely going to see play if there is a black-white vampire's deck. It doesn't yep. really matter what that black-white vampire's deck looks like. If there's a vampire's deck that is both black and white, I think that they're going to play Lieutenant. And Merfolk Mistbinder is guaranteed to see play... A lot to see modern play, even. Yeah, uh, probably. You know, in, the, in the Merfolk shells, I think that they're going to want this card no matter what. The more lords, the merrier. <laughs> it's just really good to have more of that effect, and the Merfolk deck is just going to take as many as possible. Yeah, in standard as well, we're already seeing a lot of potential for pretty powerful Merfolk archetype, and this is just perfect there. Yep. So Legion Lieutenant, definitely a C, because I think it, it has a real good shot at seeing... A, a lot of standard play. And then Merfolk Mistbinder might even hit that A territory just because there is a modern Merfolk deck that has green and blue mana and yeah. wants two mana lords. Yep, absolutely. 
I, yeah, I think that, you know, that's it's a pretty simple thing to evaluate. It's just going to be good, yeah. and it's, you know... Hopefully. If these cards aren't good in Standard, then I think Wizards has kind of broken the promise that they were making in this set, and that would be really, really disappointing. Because right. these decks need to be decks. Um, and if they're not, then, then I think cards need to be banned until they are decks, probably. <laughs> right, right. For sure, for sure. All right, next card is early pick for craziest card in the set. Uh, this is yeah, path of this is a doozy. <laughs> this is path of metal, red white for a legendary enchantment. When path of metal enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each creature that doesn't have first strike, double strike, vigilance, or haste. When you attack with at least two creatures that have first strike, double strike, vigilance, and or haste, transform path of metal, and it transforms into Metzali, Tower of Triumph, which has tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. One in a red, tap, it deals two damage to each opponent. Two in a white, tap, choose a creature at random that attack this turn, destroy that creature. So first off, people are really confused about the flavor of this card. Um, and this is very clearly explorers running a gauntlet of traps to claim the prize at the end of the gauntlet. And and that that's what's happening here. So it's the super, like dexterous explorers that have first strike or double strike or vigilance or haste that are able to get through it and claim the prize so if you're if you're confused about what's going on that's what it is and the rest of the creatures take a damage because of the dangerous traps but yeah this card is impossible to evaluate i think yeah Um, it's just (laughs) too much going on so first of all i feel like in order to play this card you you need to be playing creatures with first strike, double strike, vigilance, and or haste. Yep, there's um, a lot of them. You know, Carrie's Ev has it. Um, yeah. There's multiple haste creatures with like Bomat Courier and the Mog Fanatic kind of guy. You know, there's... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible stuff. to just like assemble the ragtag team of uh, gauntlet runners, you know? Right, right. But, um, <laughs> uh, the payoff is just strange. I mean, you know... It's, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying like, okay, so say you've attacked with those two of those creatures. Now you've got a shock on a stick for your, or, or I guess like a two damage to your opponent on a stick. Which I uh, think is the main payoff. Which which might be the main payoff, but also the next payoff is uh, is pretty strong in a certain right. context. In, like In racing sort of situations. You know, if your opponent is ever trying to attack you with any sort of creature, then you can just dome those creatures pretty easily. Choose a creature that at random that attacked this turn is a strange, strange thing to have in a card. But you know, um, so uh, I think this card is good. good. I think in a red-white aggressive deck, it's so easy to cast. It's only two mana. Um, as long as you have assembled a team of creatures that like fulfill these requirements, it does. You know, it it clears out one-one tokens that might be causing you problems. Awkwardly, it's not great against Whirler Virtuoso because they don't have to yeah. make the token until the last second. But still, you know, if like vampire tokens are a thing that would give this aggro deck problems, this solves that problem. And then the thing it flips into is powerful. A land that shocks your opponent every turn, that is some inevitability. Yeah, um, yeah. I-, I think this is good, honestly. It, uh, yeah, it could be. It's just going to be hard for it to see play because just because of the fact that it's you need such a narrow thing yep. to happen for it to flip your deck yeah. construction has to be right very right. very particular to make this card work right and as long as you have a critical mass of those dexterous creatures to run the gauntlet 
then I'm I'm pretty down for this thing. I think the restrictions are such that I certainly can't give this better than a D, but I'm looking forward to trying to kill people with this thing, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Talk about pack one, pick one, right? You, yeah. You open no up this kid. card and you're like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> let's find let's find some explorers. <laughs> yeah. This ragtag team is gonna dome out our opponent for two every turn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah, and that that white ability is really hard to attack through unlimited. So yeah. But sure, I, I think sure. building the team is is probably tough, but an exciting adventure. Indeed. This next one I'm less excited about. Uh, this is one a black and a white legendary enchantment, uh, profane procession. It has an activated ability. Three a white and a black exile target creature. Then if there are three or more cards exiled with Profane Procession, transform it. It transforms into Tomb of the Dusk Rose, which taps for one man of any color. It has two, a white and a black tap. Put a creature card exiled with this permanent onto the battlefield under your control. I, I think this is just too much mana in, in current Yeah, that's standard. what I was going to say. It's, uh, uh, it's clearly doing a powerful thing. It, it's exile target creature on a stick, and then you can eventually put those creatures exiled into play under your control but you're spending eight mana before you've exiled your first creature right yeah um so it's just too much you know it's it's a bit too much to ask for i think that you know maybe in some ultra ultra grindy black white controlly shell then maybe they could fit this in but yeah. um, we haven't lived in that world it's like a, a win con yeah but yeah we we haven't we haven't exactly so I, yeah, I just think that it's it's too expensive. Yep, unfortunate, but I yep I agree. Next we've got Storm the Vault, which is two a blue and a red for a legendary enchantment. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create a colorless treasure uh, artifact token. And at the beginning of your end step, if you control five or more artifacts, transform Storm the Vault into Vault of Catlacan which taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And it also has tap add blue to your mana pool for each artifact you control. So it basically transforms into Talarian Academy. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, this is such a strange card. So if you have five or more artifacts, you can then get a bunch of this is it's just suffering from the same problem that the like the the Gaia's cradle flip card had right yeah where your requirement to like the payoff is to get a land that taps for a bunch of mana but you've already got a bunch of artifacts in play at that point so you in theory already have the mana that you need to function appropriately so it it's it's this just i think is to me is just a pretty clear f i just don't think this is gonna see ever any play yeah i i i guess i have to agree with you here if it were to work it would be in some sort of blue red thopter deck i think and unfortunately that means that it's just probably getting overpowered by the other kaladesh cards that are necessarily in standard as long as that's a thing but what you need is you need some what some way to naturally get artifacts in play and then some mana sync to use this thing on and in that narrow set of circumstances this card can be very powerful i'm not quite envisioning what that is yet i don't think that that's a complete impossibility but right now it's probably not going to happen so yeah probably an f yeah sadly sad last gold card 
is Zakama, Primal Calamity. So this is this is quite a card. Nine mana, six, a red, a green, and a white for a nine-nine vigilance reach trample. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, untap all lands you control. Then it's got two and a red, Zakama deals three damage to target creature. Two and a green, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and two and a white, you gain three life. So three activated abilities that you could choose from on that, you know, you can use that the turn it comes into play if you untap all your lands, and then obviously every turn after that. So this is, you know, quite a ramp payoff. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can get to nine, if we have enough ramping. ramp to ramp into nine mana on a reasonable turn, and then we can cast this card that's quite the payoff that's you know if if we can reasonably cast this card in standard then now we're talking right yeah cast this card we bolt three creatures we've got a nine nine vigilance trample guy whoa like okay now we're now we're doing something so you know it but the ramp shell needs to be there we need to have enough ramp to make sure that we can hit this guy I could potentially see that being the case. You know, maybe it's time to crack out some uh, some Hour of Promise. I don't know. I do love me right. some Hour of Promise. One cool thing about Hour of Promise that I didn't mention earlier is with uh, Wayward Swordtooth, it actually has a pretty nice play pattern. So if you go Wayward Swordtooth, untap, uh, play two more lands. So then you're at five mana for Hour of Promise. Hour of Promise gets you two lands, so you're up to seven lands two zombies, and the Wayward Swordtooth. Like, this is Magical Christmas Land, kind of, but that's 10 yeah. permanents, and now you have the City's Blessing. Uh, right. And you're also quite close to casting Zakama Primal Calamity. If all the pieces come together, you know, these things do work together pretty nicely. Yeah, I mean, you know, this uh, it's got potential to, to do something crazy, but I don't know. I'm just a little too concerned about uh, whether or not it's... Uh, it's going to be able to be ramped into efficiently enough, I guess is right. the problem. And this is not a universal great payoff because one counterspell in their hand and this thing does nothing. So Right, yeah. Um, no Cavern of Souls in, uh, in standard, unfortunately. Right, just, just fake Cavern of Souls that doesn't do what you need to here. <laughs> so unfortunately, as cool and neat as this card is, until I see something proven, I, I'm just going to give this an F. I, I don't think we can cast a 9-mana spell in, in standard. Yep. I, I don't think that's happening. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm inclined to agree with you. Although, it, it's so powerful once it lands that I you know I want to I wanna have hope for it, but I don't know. Yeah. It, it definitely shuts down Teamer pretty hard. Like, they're not attacking you with Glorybringers through a 9-9 Vigilance Reach Trample. Like, he's removing lots of stuff. I guess getting a confiscation coot is really, really bad, but <laughs> that yeah, that would be that would be fun. Yeah, there's probably just too um, many. It, it might here. even synergize a little bit uh, with uh, this next card. Right, this may be a way to ramp to a card like that. So this yeah. is as or you can read the artifact. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so we've got uh, Azor's Gateway. It's a legendary artifact for two mana. Uh, it's got an activated ability. One, pay one mana and tap it. Draw a card, then exile a card from your hand. If cards with five or more different converted mana costs are exiled with Azur's Gateway, you gain five life, untap Azur's Gateway, and transform it. 
it transforms into Sanctum of the Sun. Add X mana of any one color to your mana pool, where X is your life total. Um, and you just whoa. gain five life, so that's at least like ten mana. Yeah, at minimum, you know. So yeah. I feel like once you flip this, it's going to be buckets of mana. But yes. the problem, it also suffers a little bit from the problems that we talked about with Storm of the Vault and the Guy's Cradle from last set. Where right. It's like turn eight you, by the you time you to, flip this. Yeah, you need to activate this thing five times before you can right. flip it. You've invested um, seven mana into it at minimum, and that's if you have the perfect cards to exile. Like, and th- this isn't just, you're not purely looting each turn because you're decisions are also influenced by trying to get those different converted mana costs exiled with it. And, and I think right. that is more of a restriction than people are giving it credit for. Yeah. Yeah, five different converted mana costs. It's it's so much. Like, yeah. you have to have enough cards, like, up and down the curve. You know, don't forget about land. You can exile land, so you got a zero, right? And then right. you can exile, you know, who knows what else is in your tech with this card. You can exile another Azure's Gateway. Uh, right. You, so you've you certainly got, got no nine mana spells now. in your deck. If you've got some nine mana spells that you thing. can get rid of. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, sure. But uh, this it's a lot to ask. And it's, yeah. you know, it's going to give you buckets of mana. But the thing that it does have going for it is that just on the front end, um, you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a looter for one. Yeah, for a mana, you know, uh, which isn't it's not the worst, you know, if you if you feel like the game's going to go long, just the fact that it's looting is going to be doing something for you. So, right. And, and if um, this discarded the card rather than exiling it, I think I would be very on board. Sure. Just because there's various ways that you can exploit that. They, you know, probably wisely made it unexploitable. You exile the card. Uh, that may be the kiss of death to this thing for me. I think you just have to invest so much in it. And I think it takes longer than Search for Azkanta. Costs more mana to do its thing while it's in play. And then probably just gives you a very similar level of inevitability. Uh, yeah. I think I'd just rather have Search Fair. for Azkanta most of the time. I Yeah, I have to agree with you there. All right, so next up we've got The Immortal Sun. So this is it. This is The Immortal Sun. Uh, yep. So what we've been looking for, yeah, it's or something. I don't know what the story is. <laughs> I, 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 right. I assume that this is it, but who knows? So it's a six mana artifact. It's a legendary artifact. Players can't activate Planeswalker loyalty abilities. Is the first ability on this thing. So okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, what else mm-hmm. you got? At the beginning of your draw step, draw an additional card. Uh, okay, cool. so we've got I'm a little down. Howling Mine packed in here as well. Spells you cast cost one less to cast. Um, okay. And then creatures you control get plus one, plus one. <laughs> okay. So, okay. <laughs> uh, what a strange card. <laughs> um, I feel like, if anything, that this is just mostly going to be an EDH card. It's a six mana artifact that makes a bunch of your other cards better. And it draws you more cards, even. So, but, I don't know, in Constructed, it's definitely not going to see any play in Modern... And in standard, no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, in standard, it's probably also not going to see any play because it's just not really doing what you want to be doing in standard. Right. Six mana to play a Howling Mine slash Anthem slash Discount slash. And I, your Planeswalkers I don't do anything. <laughs> it's but, just it's it does a lot of crazy stuff, but it's right. it costs too much mana. I I think that's mostly right. 
I can see times when you would want this. Um, it, you know, in a control deck is a pretty powerful sort of finisher. Drawing an extra card a turn, you're eventually just going to win the game. Spells you cast costing one less to cast makes it that much easier to turn those cards into something. And I, I think that the kicker is if you can cast this, if there's a matchup where your opponent either like sides out their braids or doesn't have a braids in the first place, and one of their strategies for beating you is that they have planeswalkers, this is a pretty powerful tool for the the control deck to just shut the door on the mid-range deck. Uh, and six mana is quite a bit of mana, but the effect I think there is pretty overwhelming. Like if they put the game into a spot where they're like, yes, I, I've caused you to tap out for a removal spell and now I'm going to cast this Chandra and win the game with this Chandra. And then you just untap, play a land and play the Immortal Sun. You're, you've shut the door on them pretty hard, I think. Um, and so because there's like that number of, you know, it, it, it's, it's certainly narrow, but like Staff of Nin was a thing sometimes. And I think that this could be something that you want if, the, if the cards play out in, in a pretty specific way, uh, certainly not better than like a D minus, but I, I, I can see situations over the next like two years where this is a fine sideboard card in control decks for certain situations. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can, I can, I can get behind that assessment. I think. Next up, we've got Silent Gravestone, which is just kind of so strange to see in this set. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I don't really get it, and hopefully, Chris has some more insight into it. So it's a, it's a one mana artifact. It says cards in graveyards can't be the target of spells or abilities, and then it's got an activated ability. You can pay four mana, tap it, exile it, and all cards from all graveyards, and draw a card. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> why is this here? <laughs> so, I don't... Okay, so, so I mean, we'll just sort of run through some of the things that it does. Yeah. Uh, in, in Standard, it shuts down the Scarab God. It shuts down Refurbish and then also provides, you know, maybe a temporary but still a solution to Gift of the God Pharaoh. Um, in older uh, formats, that's that's okay. I think that you've hit the two things that it's kind of here for. It's for the Scarab God, and it's for a yeah. gift hate card. I think. And you know, if you hardest lightning the Scarab God and then exile their graveyard before the trigger resolves or before the delayed trigger happens at end of turn, then you actually get rid of their Scarab God, which is pretty nice too. Um, if that five five was relevant. In older formats, it's really weird because it's kind of a graveyard hate card, but it's also kind of great in some of the graveyard decks as a response to sideboard cards. Like it turns off stuff like Surgical Extraction or like Fairy Macabre or whatever. That's but true. Probably too narrow of a situation for you to like really want that because it doesn't solve stuff like Rest in Peace, which is, you know, one of the huge problems for graveyard decks. But it's this weird like graveyard hate card that's also like okay in the graveyard decks um <laughs> like it's a card that a dredge deck could play against a reanimator deck as a hate card um right 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 so I, there's enough stuff Costing. going on here and uh, the the cost is one mana of any color that i i bet this sees play in just very specific situations and could it could happen you know this could be a vintage playable card if you need these exact specific effects for this yeah. mana cost so if they end up banning something from Teamer, and 
then all of a sudden, Godfaro's gift and the Scarab God suddenly take over Standard. Right. Then I could definitely see the us wanting something like this. So I think it's probably good that they gave it to us. Yeah. Um, I like having outlets like this in case X thing becomes too powerful. Right, right. So that, you know, it's kind of good that that's the case, I think. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and not assign a grade to this, though, because I think that that's not possible for this kind of card. <laughs> yeah, given our I, system. I, I mean, I guess um, it's a it's D. Just... It's like a sideboard card that, yeah. but but who knows when and where it will be relevant. And it, it could be a great sideboard card in every single format from vintage to standard. So who knows? Right. True. Yeah, the fact that it's one mana gives it the potential to be played in, in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Most situations, though, like, how could it ever be better than Relic of Progenitus? You have to specifically want what it exactly does, so. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that concludes the artifacts. Yeah, we've only got one card left on the lands. There's only one land here uh, that's relevant. We've got Arch of Arazka, which is land that taps for a colorless mana, and it has Ascend... And five and tap, draw a card. Activate this ability only if you have the city's blessing. So this is quite a card for control decks going super long. And in particular, I think it's very good, potentially, in like a blue-white deck with Secure the Wastes. And then you turn this on long before you hit 10 lands. I don't know, just a fair amount of power here if you can afford colorless lands and if you're in a deck that, you know, wants to go long and can ascend. Those are pretty specific requirements, but, you know, it's it's an option. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that in any sort of control deck, that this card is going to be very good. Um, and I don't even think that you need to play any sort of secure effect. No, because probably not. Because you're only really going to want to start activating the other ability once you've hit right, a all ton of, of mana. those land drops, right? Sure. So, you know, once you get up to your 10th land drop or whatever, then, then you, you know, then you can start activating it and drawing more cards and, and using them efficiently. But, like, before then, I don't, I feel like you're going to have to be, like, interacting with your opponent and you won't really have the opportunity to spend five minutes to draw a card until, right. you know, much later. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, I, I could see this being quite good. Uh, the, just the requirement is not that high. It just needs to be in a deck that can afford that colorless land. So, you know, some sort of two-color slower deck. But, yeah, I, I think it's pretty good. I probably see quite a bit of play o- over time. Maybe not have a ton of impact on lots of games, but right. you're certainly going to want it in a control mirror. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's probably a pretty good, pretty good place to put it. All right, okay, well, that's, so that's it. That's, we did it. That's it. We did it. <laughs> All right, so for next time, probably going to need to be a little more judicious in making cuts from the list of cards we're going to talk about. Because uh, um, I don't think we yeah, can quite this ended up being uh, <laughs> pretty pretty long, but uh, but you know we we did go pretty into depth on a lot of these cards um, yeah. and you know how we expect them to impact things. So you know, yep. I doubt we'll get many complaints. So sure, it's it's mostly for our sanity that that we'll have to <laughs> shorten it a little in the future. Um, Indeed. But yeah, that's all from us today. Uh, I, I don't think we need to talk about anything else after that. So I'm looking forward to the pre-release this weekend. I'm going to see how many I can play in. Um, <laughs> so it should be fun. Typically, I try to run the gauntlet, but midnight into 11 a.m. is uh, Oof. is tough. Oof. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I will not be playing until Saturday, probably. I, I just can't yeah. handle that anymore. 
Uh, but yeah, it should be really fun. So hopefully this was helpful to some people listening. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, you can catch us online. Uh, you can catch you know the podcast, mostly me tweeting at, at MTG underscore Grindcast. You can also find Collins on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And if you want to catch my blogs about playing Magic in Germany, probably the easiest way is just to Google CCR Plays Magic, and it'll come up right at the top. So, you know. I definitely you recommend like you check those out. They have been gas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, uh, have a great week. Have fun with Rivals of Ixalan, and we will see you next time. All right. Take care.